This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Your coach is right here. I'm here for you. Another hour of uh, insight, tools, everything you need to grow a healthier, happier life. That is the goal of this program. Every day we're bringing it to you. And I'm now using voices, which usually, you know, it's not a good thing. Welcome to the show. we got a great uh, show for you today. Uh, you know, you've heard a lot about the Surveillance Patriot Act and all of the surveillance the NSA is doing, all the information they're capturing about you. And it's so scary, right? We just are so terrified because ugh, I don't I don't want them eavesdropping on me. I don't want them finding something out that they they shouldn't find out. But guess what? You know what? Maybe it's because it's important. That's what they keep telling us. They need this information because there's a lot of stuff going on. And so what I it reminded me of an interview we did and we're going to be playing the interview in a minute here. Uh, with a great uh, guest, Todd Palmer, who joined us a few months ago. He's an FBI, you know, spokesperson for a field office here in Salt Lake City. And we're just going to let him tell what the FBI are doing all day long. And then you decide if we're still in danger. That's one of the reasons I wanted to replay this interview is because when you listen to what the FBI say, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. They need the information. And then you hear the politicians and Rand Paul going off like, oh, we don't need to be capturing all this information. Yeah, it dep- I guess it depends on what side you're on. Law yeah. enforcement sees it as a, a useful tool, whereas other, everybody else maybe looks at it as, it as an invasion of your privacy. And Rand Paul being libertarian, he's want complete hands off. Stay out of the stay yeah, out of my s- life. Stay out of my business. Don't bother me was a, a term I think he used. Yeah. So we're just going to let you decide. You'll just get to listen to the FBI and just find out. I mean, you know, a lot of people right now don't trust law enforcement. They don't trust government. So it makes sense. You know, it's just it is what it is. It is what it is. Anyway, there's a lot of news. Rand Paul the other day uh, said to apologize for some comments he made previously. Were these the ones where he took on the Hawks? Yes. Not the basketball team. So he... uh... The GOP presidential candidate, remember that, Rand Paul. Yep, yep. He sparked heated debate and used procedural opposition to force the law that allows the government to collect bulk phone data to expire temporarily Sunday night. Paul was able to d- delay a vote at least through Tuesday on the House passed bill known as the USA Freedom Act. So sometime this week, I'm not sure if it'll be on Tuesday yeah, today or if it'll know. be later, yeah. but. It'll be sometime this week they bring up the vote again. But he says, people here in town think I may, I'm may i making a huge mistake, Paul says. Some of them, I think, secretly want there to be an attack on the United States so that they can blame it on me. Wow. He said that on Sunday. Well, but that's ludicrous. During Monday, he had to kind of walk those comments back a little bit. <laughs> See, this is this is the, all the rhetoric that's going on about yep. – because this is kind of McCain and uh, – the other senator, Lindsey Graham. Graham, they both said they want 10,000 yeah. troops on the ground fighting ISIS. Mm. They're taking for some reason, they're taking Rand on head on. I wonder why. 
Hmm. Is he running for president? It might be because he's running for president. Is Lindsey Graham? I think Lindsey Graham's running he for president. He just announced. So, yes, so absolutely. Two. So, he's, uh, Rand Paul has had to walk those comments back. Obviously, they're inflammatory and mm-hmm. unfounded and blah, blah, blah. The Supreme Court ruled Monday that violent threats online may be protected free speech as long as they are not malevolent or reckless. Violent threats online as long as they're not malevolent or reckless. The case concerned Anthony Alonis, who posted violent threats about his ex-wife on Facebook after she left him and he lost his job. The threats also referenced other people, including a kindergarten class and FBI agents. Alonis was convicted for the threat, but maintained that his postings were more akin to violent rap lyrics than actual threats. What? I was just rapping. (laughs) It's poetry. Can a guy not rap anymore? The case now heads back to the lower court, which will decide whether his threats were malevolent or artistic okay. free speech. Malevolent, as defined uh, by my dictionary.com dictionary on my phone. Hmm. Wishing evil or harm to another or others, showing ill will, ill-disposed maliciousness. So a threat that doesn't – that is wishing somebody harm, they're saying – but they're saying that wasn't a threat. I mean a threat – I assume it has to to constitute a yeah. threat. It has to wish someone harm. Violent implies an action of some kind, possibly. Yeah. Interesting. So I don't know how they how they're going to judge that. It seems like the Supreme Court made a decision where they, in their language, didn't make a decision. It could, seems like could, it's could just legal ease. <laughs> legal ease. Malevolent. But, again, I, I don't want to disparage all the rap world either to have everyone right. think that that's just malevolent, violent But language. he may not be very good at rap may, lyrics. Maybe he's a horrible rapper. Could be. <laughs> maybe the judge will decide that, too. What? Can a guy not rap? Kentucky Fried Chicken has been the subject of a smear campaign on social media in China where companies representing KFC's rivals have posted rumors that the globally global fast food chain uses genetically engineered chickens with six wings and eight legs, among other claims. Oh, that's bogus. Now, I know that's bogus. Now KFC is fighting back, demanding $1.5 million. <laughs> uh, it's $242,000. And an apology from each of the three companies that operated accounts on the popular mobile phone chat uh, a phone app where these uh, rumors and <laughs> allegations went out they're also seeking an immediate stop to their infringement let's be real if you're going to genetically influence your chickens to have six wings and eight legs just so you can get more out of the chicken wouldn't you have just genetically influenced a chicken to get away from you could be that's a bird that could fly eight times faster than the average bird it's and can six, run six, it's got times six wings and eight legs so in reality we know if you're going to do it You'd, you'd, you'd genetically modify them other ways. I, mean, like I know we're selling feathers. legs and wings. Yeah. Feathers. Really heavy feathers. Yeah. Yeah. Or no feathers at all. So you just, you know, butcher them and pop them in the deep fryer. Isn't that sad that you could be running Kentucky Fried Chicken and then somebody just makes up a story that you're creating Franken chickens? Franken chickens. So. Uh, then you could just market Franken chickens. Who knows? Well, and a son, I have a son that is deeply, deeply in love with KFC and Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it hurts my heart to think that they would disparage KFC like this because <laughs> it would make my son very sad. You're speechless. One more? Yeah, if you got it. I mean, let's try it one more. The number of Americans who find human cloning and polygamy acceptable are gradually rising. Hold on. Uh, why are these stories connected? 
The chicken and the chicken the classic, cloning and polygamy. Classic taboos of society, as it says here. I'm not sure. It's interesting. So people are finding cloning of mm-hmm. animals, cloning or people. and polygamy acceptable. Many of the classic taboos, including adultery, persist persist to be unacceptable. So adultery, no. Polygamy, yes. Cloning, yes. Uh, but chickens with six wings, eight legs, no. Right. Only 8% of Americans find married men and women having an affair to be morally acceptable, according to a new Gallup survey. Hmm. Issues like polygamy, suicide, cloning humans are still stigmatized by most people, but a growing number of younger Americans find them acceptable. Infidelity is the one issue that 90% of young people still find morally unacceptable. Isn't that interesting? We will not tolerate infidelity. Don't cheat. But we will tolerate other things. Polygamy. You know what? That's got to be because of the, the shows, the television shows, like on TLC. Could be. Because it's showing that these people aren't. Now, they're, they're saying they're, it has is, it is grown in its acceptability, not that it's become acceptable. Yeah. I mean, it's, So there's it, a greater it's, percentage it's of people that are like, yeah, sure. It's fine. <laughs> so do you accept it? No. We just don't find it as disgusting as we once did. <laughs> as deplorable as it could be. Isn't that interesting? It makes you wonder... When, you know, at what point do does it something that was never acceptable become acceptable? We need to track this data. Jimmy, track the data. Tracking as of now. Uh, how are you tracking it? That just seemed like you said that really fast when you really. That's the I'm tracking it sound. Okay. It is officially being tracked now. Okay. And that's because you put a, a bell? Yes. That's the tracking sound. Okay. Just uh, don't ask questions. No, it, yeah. Just let it happen. It's, it's like I don't understand your system. Well, you don't have to understand it for it to work. Okay. All right. Well, so look, one more time. You are tracking? Yes. Okay. Officially tracking. Okay, officially tracking. We're all set. Great, because I want to meme, and uh, I want to meme it later and put a bumper sticker. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we've been talking a lot about, over the last few days, about the surveillance uh, the Patriot Act and, and the need to collect all this data. So it reminded us of an interview that we did a few months ago with an FBI uh, spokesperson of the Salt Lake office in the FBI. And uh, we're going to have Todd Palmer on. Replay that. Uh, we're going to replay that interview and let you hear from a real FBI agent what's going on in their offices. Then you decide. Do we really need all this information or not? We'll take a break. When we come back, Todd Palmer from the FBI right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your uh, guide on the side as we're walking through not just the headlines, but some of the the more local threats that are going on. We, um, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot. What we try to do is take the headlines and give you a little bit of a deeper cut, go into each, uh, you know, of the major headlines and see if we can't bring in experts that can walk us through you know, maybe not in detail about every scenario, but give us some some greater depth in understanding what's going on. So we decided who better to do that than Todd Palmer, who is an FBI agent. He spent over 20 years 
in law enforcement. And um, he has, as an agent, he has worked in the Las Vegas, Nevada field office, the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and the Salt Lake City field office, as well as completing several assignments in the Middle East for the FBI as well. He um, also is a kind of a, a, a spokesperson or a, a public information kind of person for the FBI and uh, has spent much of his career investigating criminal enterprises such as street and prison gangs, large-scale drug, drug traffickers, and he is currently a medic on the SWAT team, which I think is pretty cool. I used to be an EMT myself, uh, and um, also was assigned to Public Corruption Squad, which primarily investigates civil rights and human trafficking matters. Todd Palmer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So great to have you. I mean, it's you're really in an interesting job. It's funny because everybody, you know, watches the TV and watches all these great cop shows, so they all know what the FBI can do. But you were just informing me on something really interesting because we hear of Homeland Security, whose funding is now in trouble a little bit this week. We hear of the IRS, and they'll be, you know, they do certain investigations. The DEA, Drug Enforcement, ATF. We hear of the FBI, local police. So, but but the FBI is different in kind. But each each of these agencies are investigative. Help us understand what's the difference. They're, the FBI is the largest federal law enforcement agency in the United States, and we have concurrent jurisdiction with almost every other federal law enforcement agency. In most states, we also have uh, a very limited, but also. Uh, jurisdiction with the local law enforcement. Some states allow us to function as local police officers in those jurisdictions. Uh, We typically work with local law enforcement agencies kind of as a backstop. So if they request some assistance that we might be able to provide them, they're experts in certain areas that we might not be, and we Hmm. might be experts in areas that they may not be. Yeah. I noticed, I saw when Osama bin Laden was captured and that whole raid went down, an FBI agent was apparently there to keep chain of command of the evidence. Is that was that accurate? The FBI has had a concurrent mission with the United States military and the Department of Defense when it comes to investigating large-scale matters that might affect terrorism throughout the world in the United yeah. States. There are some FBI agents that will be assigned to do what they call uh, sensitive site exploitation. They pull evidence out. Uh, our military personnel are experts at what they do, mm-hmm. and we're very, very good at gathering evidence and taking that evidence to find uh, those little factoids that might be necessary to protect that's the United great. States. So as that's a, whole. a forte of the FBI is is information, correct, and and assessment. So um, talk to me about this as as we kind of to have an FBI agent here. I'm sure everybody's out there. They're hearing all of these uh, supposed kind of more homegrown attacks. Um, what happened up in Canada? Uh, and you know you can't talk specific on any of the specifics of any of these. But just other threats, like what happened in France, where these homegrown kind of terrorists go away, work in the Middle East, learn to battle, go to war in the Middle East, but then maybe come home and threaten the homeland. We hear that on the radio, on television. Everyone's talking about that. Is that a threat? I mean, are we are we to worry about that? Those are things that we definitely need to be concerned about. The FBI has a national security program. More, most of what the National Security Program does is look at those types of threats, the threats that are in the United States, that are outside the United States that might impact the U.S. Yeah. We also have domestic terrorist investigators, and they look at those homegrown threats, people here born in the United States that are living here in the United States that may cause harm to 
our infrastructure, to our businesses, and to our citizens. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea, I guess, when when um, al-Shabaab is calling in a, in for major attacks on malls of America, on the Mall of America, and other shopping centers. I mean, somebody's got to cover that. So you have specific agents that follow that kind of an, a, a lead. Correct. And is it it is so it's real we need to worry about it do we as the average citizen need to worry about it knowing that you're worrying about it i think it's important for everybody to be aware we all walk around uh myself included and other people and and say this can't happen here yeah um when i look for a place to live as an fbi agent i'd like to live somewhere where it's great to raise a family and very comfortable in a quiet environment but at the same time i think that we need to recognize that um it can happen here it can happen anywhere. There is no there is no laid out plan of this is the perfect opportunity, the perfect place for this to happen. So we as citizens also have to kind of broaden our mindset, go about our daily business and do the things that we need to do, understanding that there are very, very good people protecting us and doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. But at the same time, we need to be diligent in our day-to-day activities and make sure that we report those things that are concerning to us. And I guess what are we supposed to look for just as the average citizen – I mean, I guess you don't want to have a false report, but I'm, and I'm sure the FBI is following up on a million reports that maybe don't matter, but it's maybe the one that does matter. What should we look for that would be suspicious that would help? I think the, the biggest recommendation that I could make to people is if, the, if it causes you concern, then make a phone call. Hmm. It's better to make a phone call and have it looked at and be nothing than not make a phone call at all. We get most of our information, contrary to popular belief, from individuals that call us. So when individuals call 911 and they report something to a dispatcher who then reports it to a police officer, those things get followed up on. They get investigated, and the large majority of crime gets stopped that way. It's not stopped by um, great investigators doing wonderful, fabulous right. things. It's stopped by concerned citizens who see something that just doesn't sit right in the communities in which they live. Huh. Is, it, is, is terrorism, our dom- and I guess domestic kind of terror, it seems like cyber attacks – we're more vulnerable to. I think cyber attacks are one of the mis- most misunderstood aspects of the criminal realm right now. Well, well, talk about that. What do you mean? The the amount of damage that can be done through a very simple cyber attack is huge. Uh, the large majority of us are on some kind of technical device every single day. Yeah. Really not understanding the power of that device that's in our hand. Uh, the information that we put into those things. Uh, you would no sooner walk around flashing ten, fifteen thousand dollars out in open public, but you'll sit on a laptop computer, an iPad, telephone, and <laughs> type in all funds. of your banking right. information and do all sorts of things in open public, whether it's on mass transportation or sitting at the mall or in the movie theater. People are on these devices all of the time, putting their entire life yeah. out for someone who has the skill and technical ability to take. That's true. And you think about just the average Joe who has no – they can't even make a strong password <laughs> – Correct. And then the average, you know, f- criminal that's just super skilled at this stealing your password. And and people are at this all the time. When technology advances, criminal behavior advances when it comes in the technology or cyber realm. Yeah, interesting. The people that are perpetrating these crimes are every bit as bright as the individuals that are creating the software to protect the infrastructures. And it, and the power grids and all of these other infrastructures are fairly vulnerable. I, I can't assess vulnerability. Yeah. I can just say that we've got individuals that are that are constantly trying to attack those facilities, and we've got individuals that are constantly trying to protect those facilities. And it's almost like a chess game for mm. a lot of these people. I, I don't know if you heard the, a news story. I'm sure you did uh, about a billion dollar bank robbers get a billion dollars out of banks. They just slowly take five dollars here, twenty dollars here, elevate bank accounts, take funds out. But just simple cyber thieves, the, basically. 
we get a lot of complaint calls into our office in relation to to uh, that type of crime where through the internet, whether it's uh, an email or some kind of um, a spoofing thing on on your your passwords, bank accounts, and they're they're taking five dollars here, ten dollars there. We have people call us all the time. Hey, somebody took a hundred dollars out of my bank account. Well, the large majority of people don't look at their bank accounts every day, and if they're missing two dollars, three dollars, four dollars, but if somebody does that on a very large scale to five, six, seven hundred people a day, Ugh. that dollar amount accumulates huge. And if you see that two dollars are missing from your bank account, mm-hmm. really, you're probably not going to spend a whole lot of time going back to your bank to try to ascertain where that money went. Yeah. So these types of crimes do happen, and it's very important that we take a hard look at at our online banking yeah. um, and all of our computer-related issues and make sure that we're on top of those things because if there is something that causes you concern, you can get that rectified by calling the companies. But you should be aware of what's going on because that will help you understand if somebody might have accessed the systems that That's you're p- trying to control. It is. It's such a simple – just watch the small numbers, just the little things – add up to be very big things. Let's take a break. We're talking with Todd Palmer, who is an agent with the FBI here in the Salt Lake City office and is the information officer for them in this area. We will come back. When we come back, I want to ask uh, Todd about the mafia. Now, it used to be they were the big threat, but it sounds like in a way maybe they're not in the game anymore. Maybe they've been outplayed by all of the cyber thieves and the, the domestic terrorists and everybody else. We'll pick his brain on that. When we come back, Agent Todd Palmer from the FBI right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Awesome uh, topic right now. We have uh, FBI agent Todd Palmer is here. He's the information officer for the Salt Lake City um, field office. Has been in, uh, you know, investigations, police work for 20-plus years as a law enforcement officer. Has served in Las Vegas, Nevada. When you think about that, just the potential historic mafia ties to the Vegas kind of crime scene and world. He he started out there with the FBI, went to D.C. as well, also served in the Middle East, had some assignments in the Middle East as well. So the cool thing about the FBI, um, they're they're pretty much into everything. It seems like at least some part of their of their system is into that. Now, I wanted to ask I wanted to ask Todd Palmer about uh, first of all, welcome back, Todd. Thank you. About the mafia. We always, you know, back in the day when I was growing up, that was the story. Always chasing Capone kind of guys, always chasing the mafia. Uh, Are they still around? Certainly they're still around, mostly in the major metropolitan areas, but they still exist and there are still prosecutions against them going on today. Yeah. But I guess part of this, what you're telling me and we were talking off air a little bit is it's almost, it's regional, isn't it? Every region kind of has their own specific niche kind of crime. The FBI will take its time and and look at, they call it, um, not to get technical, I guess, but the the area of responsibility. Uh So each field office will look at their area of responsibility and try to pick out the crime threats that are are most prevalent in that particular area. And then they rank them and try to put their resources towards the crime problems, again, that are most prevalent in the area that they're responsible Mm -hmm. for. So one crime in, in Salt Lake City, for example, uh, may be completely different than a crime in New York City. It's yeah. Because I guess, I mean, like, 
Yeah, if you don't have huge union kind of event or groups, if you don't have um, – like in Utah, we're not a unionized state. There's not a u- lot of union kind of work going on here. But there are a lot of, I guess, more affinity crimes, just crimes where people you know, who are close in a church might commit crime against other people who are in the church, embezzle, steal money, whatever. Correct. So that's an affinity crime. Um, what are some other kind of regional types of crimes? Um, drugs, of course, is a national problem, but you'll see certain types of drugs in certain communities that you wouldn't see in other ones. Yeah. Um, that's kind of uh, becoming a, a gray area, which we used to see as inner city drugs have moved themselves to areas uh, where you typically wouldn't have, have expected it to be. Um, heroin, for example, is a very high uh, or very prevalent drug in the Salt Lake area. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And then, uh, I mean, all the meth labs. So you work with the DEA and share intelligence. And then sometimes I guess you have to help each other based on what you're learning. Correct. What about, um, I guess, is the threat, I'm assuming, from the Mexican kind of cartels? Are we still seeing a lot of it, a lot of push from Mexico and drugs up into the United States? Absolutely. Because I have a son in northern Mexico. Um, just wondering about that. But you saw the Coca-Cola thing. Coca-Cola may pull all of its bottlers or whatever out of the northern Mexican you know, provinces because they've been, I guess, kidnapping Coca-Cola I, I, I did. I did see mention of that. There are uh, in foreign countries, and this is one another violation that the FBI does investigate, is any crime against a U.S. citizen mm. in a foreign country. The FBI has legal attaches in almost every country um, outside the United States. And we do liaison work with local law enforcement agencies there. So if a U.S. citizen might be kidnapped or murdered in a foreign country, the FBI will have bodies there to assist them in those investigations and also be able to provide information back here to the U.S. so we can provide that to the families of the victims. Do you, do you feel like since 9-11, we've, it just seems like we have to have so much information coming in. Do you feel like it's all being integrated pretty well? Are we, are we all talking better than ever? I would say yes. Uh, we're doing a much better job than we did prior to 9-11. We did a very, very good job then. Yeah. Uh, but now we're working together. We have more task forces, and I think that we understand the crime problem a little bit better. Uh, we have experts in various areas that we might not have had experts in prior to 9-11. Hmm. I mean, it's uh, another one that we've heard a lot of in the news are public corruption cases, like the Virginia governor and his wife. Now they're going to prison. You Are you seeing more public corruption type of crimes? I think we're... Uh, uh, We've always been very aggressive in trying to look into public corruption matters. I think we're doing a better job of it now. We mm-hmm. have a better um, understanding of how it affects society in general. Um, I think the overall consensus in the public is that we as public officials should be held accountable for our actions uh, to include uh, law enforcement as well as uh, elected public officials. So that's one of our missions, and we're going to spend a lot of time and energy making sure that People that make mistakes, commit crimes, are held accountable for those types of behaviors. I mean, it's it really is. You you are into everything, really. I guess every crime that crosses a line, a state line, is a potential FBI case. It could be. We try to look for an interstate nexus in a lot of the crime, criminal statutes that are out there. We investigate all matters of federal law. So, uh, if it's enumerated in the federal code book, we probably have an individual that investigates that particular violation. Mm. Is is um, I know civil rights has been a really big issue when we talk about Ferguson and all that went down in Ferguson. Um, talk about the civil rights kind of cases that you're 
that are out there, and what, what's your responsibility there? The FBI is a, a kind of a unique monster in that area. We're the only federal law enforcement agency that actually is, by code, uh, regulated to investigate law enforcement officers, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the current community fervor is, is law enforcement related when right. it comes to civil rights matters. So the FBI has a couple of statutes that we utilize when investigating, investigating law enforcement brutality type situations. We also investigate hate crimes. Most states don't have um, hate crimes laws. They have hate crimes enhancements. So somebody commits an assault against an individual because of what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be an enhancement associated with that assault. So they have a normal assault charge and then an enhancement Correct. because of a hate crime. Correct. But in the federal government, we actually have hate crimes laws that we do investigate, and they're very, very specific. One of them is called the Matthew Shepard Act. It's a very interesting, very well-written uh, law. Uh, it's very broad in nature. Um, but what people, I think, misunderstand about what it is that the FBI does when we investigate, whether it's law enforcement officers, public officials, or hate crimes, most of the statutes that we utilize are what we call specific intent statutes, meaning that the burden of proof is very, very high. We have to be able to prove that the individual that committed the act did so with intent, mm-hmm. with intent to, divide, to deprive someone of a enumerated civil liberty. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. That seems like a really high burden it is. of proof. It is very high. It's very difficult. Um, Most of what we do, let's say, go back to the law enforcement arena. Um, When we investigate a a law enforcement matter, we're utilizing a multitude of case law that's already been set by the Supreme Court. One of the cases that we utilize when we assess reasonableness, for example, is a case called Graham versus Connor. It came out, I believe, somewhere about 1989. And the Supreme Court essentially said, here's the reasonableness standard that we're going to utilize when we assess law enforcement use of force. Hmm. Um, and we use that. We look at that. Is it reasonable? Uh, it isn't what Todd Palmer thinks. It yeah. isn't what uh, individual yeah. on the street thinks. It's what has the Supreme Court set as a standard. And the large majority of citizens out there don't understand that these types of, of cases have already been adjudicated and case law has been set by the United States Supreme Court. The activities and actions of, of law enforcement agencies are based on those rulings. Do we have more? Do we have more civil rights cases now than ever? Um, and what would lead to that? I don't know if we have more civil rights cases now than ever. I think because of the way the media portrays most cases now, there's a lot of dialogue and discussion about yeah. these types of things. So I think that's good. I think the awareness of these types of events are is out there and it's in the forefront. But there are also um, there needs to be a very good balance between what what is actually going on, what is it that law enforcement is doing, and what the standards are. Does, does it end up being um, is it political at all? I mean, I, I assume. You know, if you have a certain head of a, of a justice department, do they push different agendas? And does that just different agenda end up impacting the FBI differently? The neat thing about the FBI is the FBI pretty much operates autonomously from every other entity out That's there. Nice. Um, our directors uh, are appointed, but they are essentially there for 10 years. Oh, really? Uh, Director Mueller uh, yeah. was able to extend by two years. Um, he's the first FBI director that was ever, ever able to do that. But after Mr. Hoover... Um, left the FBI, um, all of the other directors have had a 10-year term limit. And it's supposed to be autonomous from all other agencies. So we're able to operate and do the things that we need to do without a lot of outside political pressure. Yeah. In a way, we'd thank you because it's something that's constant. That's You know what I mean? Finally, we have something that's more constant, especially, I guess, when it comes to the need to investigate you know, to know that it's not always politically driven is important. What do we need to know? Just as the average citizen, as we kind of wrap this up, are there things we should be doing better? Are there things that we could be doing to make sure we are safer? 
in all these areas we've been talking about. I, yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I think that, that we need to do better as a society is we need to educate ourselves on what our rights are. Uh, we live in a community of laws and rules. And a lot of times uh, we as citizens, we get upset at things we don't necessarily understand. Yeah. We in law enforcement and also in the government need to do a better job at educating individuals of, number one, what their rights are, but the associated responsibility attached to each right. It seems like over my 20-year career in law enforcement that people have have continually tried to absolve themselves of a responsibility for their behaviors and actions. Right. And we live in an incredible country with a multitude of freedoms, but each one of those freedoms has an associated responsibility attached to it. And a lot of times individuals will, will talk about what their rights and freedoms are without discussing or enumerating what their specific responsibilities yeah, right. are. And so we in government should do a much better job at educating individuals what their rights are, but what associated responsibilities they have tied into those rights. And conversely, individuals need to do a better job at educating themselves on what their rights are and what the responsibilities associated with and those rights it. are. They have to own it. They do. And they need to be held responsible. And we all need to do a much better job at holding our own selves responsible for our day-to-day activities. Because what I might consider freedom of speech, freedom of religion, those types of things, um, might be somewhat offensive to other people. Mm-hmm. Now, we live in a country where it's my right to have those freedoms. But at the same time, I need to assess what it is that I'm doing and how I'm behaving and own the responsibility of my actions if I'm offending another person. That's true. And be able to have a conscious uh, civil dialogue about those types of issues to evoke the changes that might need to come to create a more civil society. That's true. You may have the right to say something, but it doesn't mean it's helpful. And it doesn't mean that it's going to make others feel safer. Correct. That's powerful. Well, we appreciate you, Todd. Really, it's you're on the front lines. It's I just as in, in between the breaks, I would ask Todd a million questions, and he can't get into any specifics. But the guy knows a ton, and um, and knows a ton about every a lot of the stories you hear about, and yet can't tell everything. And none of us really know it all. So I appreciate you being willing to at least work on that lack of ability to maybe share all the detail and know too much and then still have a happy face. Um, Appreciate you, Todd. Todd Palmer again here with the uh, Salt Lake City field office um, with the FBI. Cool stuff. Appreciate you. You bet. Thank you very much. Really great stuff. We're going to have to have Todd back and have him talk more general about a lot of stuff. Guys, there's a lot going on. And... Luckily, we have guys like Todd on the case. We're going to take a break. Be thinking, do you have somebody that you care about who is uh, suffering adult-onset diabetes? We've got a great guest. Richard DeMarchi is going to be joining us. Uh, Richard DeMarchi is going to be teaching us a little bit more about what to look for uh, when it comes to adult-onset of diabetes and what uh, we should be doing about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we just heard from an FBI agent, for heaven's sakes. There's something just so cool about that. Am I just old-fashioned? No, he was kind of intense. He was way intense. I remember when he came into the studio, you're like, wow, guy's in the FBI. Then he starts talking, and and he was able to do the kind of the 
we'll share some things with you, yeah. but not really share anything with you. I mean, thing. I'd like to tell you, but I really can't tell you or I'll have to kill you. Right. So he gave us some things, but at the same time protected all whatever integrity of investigation stuff, excuses they always and give. I was working him hard. Yeah. And especially and you, you, when we turned the mics off, I was all over him. He'd give me nothing. I think you asked him if he liked his job. And he said it's difficult because anyone in law enforcement is now attached to something they watch on TV. And that yes. was Ferguson and yeah. later Baltimore. So cops have kind of a bad reputation, and he is seen as a cop. And he has to hold a completely different level of professionalism, right? So as an FBI agent, he can't, he can't you know, if he's done anything in his life, if he's, if he's lost or if he's, you know, had a marriage fail and have a divorce, even that— creates problems in when he goes into court to testify and stuff like that. So anyway, it's huge. So we appreciate them doing that. And I think he also gave us enough information that we, you know, they, they need as much data as they can get, and yet we need to be able to trust it. So there, there again is the issue. Back to surveillance. You know, you just don't want the FBI after you. I'm still undecided. I'm not. Sh- I'm not very convinced that they need all that information. They don't need all that information. But at the same time, I know they need that information. Yeah. Well, so I'm kind of conflicted. The problem is they don't need that information on my mother. Yeah, they don't need it on me. Well, no, on you. Yeah, I think I'm that's okay. different. That's I'm not different. a threat. I'm not a threat. I would say you are. Okay. I could be. But at the same time, like, when would they ever, ever use that information? Like, just the amount of information that they collect is. So much. There's clutter. So, so much. So you think a a more targeted search would make more sense rather than just have a huge facility in the middle of a desert area in Utah where Mm -hmm. they build a building and I'll wait. Well, I mean, think about it. You have to manage your bandwidth and you have to manage everything you save. My wife yesterday had 64 gig of video on her phone. Wow. We have a 64 gig phone and she's like, oh man, mine's full. My phone's full. How much, how much? How much do you have left? And I'm like, uh, 60 gig. I got 60 gig left. So what'd you do? So I'm like, she, I'm like, how come you have, she says, we have a lot of video. I just have a lot of video. Did you she, upload it somewhere to get? Well, I tell her to, but who no? knows what she did with it. Huh. I think she just started deleting memories. <laughs> well, I don't want to remember you. And I know. You. I've like, I've got, a, the problem is I've got a hundred gig on Dropbox or whatever, but she'll fill it right up. So we have to regulate what we save. I've but, got a service for you that could work. What? Google. Who are they? You have to give up all your private information to Google, but... What would they do with it? We're giving it to the NSA anyway. So. Yeah, so I Actually, mean, it's Google's out giving it to the NSA, aren't they? Isn't, uh, isn't the NSA going after all of our carriers, all of our providers? More than likely, and since they are going to become a carrier. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. So, I, But again, I think nobody knows... If everybody knew, it's not, we only just talk about the phone calls. Right. But if everybody knew the information that is out there on you and saved on the NSA, you might, files, you might start to worry. Like, you have that picture. The NSA has that picture. Yeah. And then you try to run for public office. Yeah. And, oh, oh, look what we found. Yeah. And then all of yeah. a sudden you got some scandal. I mean, think of James. All the photos. I've, I've seen a few of those. The, the pictures, everything that he's uploaded. Eesh. Braver than I. That's all I have to say. All the cat photos, the videos of the cats. 
Running on the beach. The beach cat. The, the pull-ups. The pull-up. The cat doing pull-ups. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. It's the weirdest cat. Anyway. So you've spoken before. Yes. You, you have kids that are reaching college, graduating college. Yeah, they're today. Graduating high school, yeah. progressing in their life. Mm-hmm. Growing so, up. Soon all the kids will progress to the point where they're gone, and then it's like, then you got to downsize. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Is that is that in your future, downsizing, yeah. moving yeah. to a different house? I want to move to a different house with no yard. Just a, I just want a big cement block around my house. Okay. I want nothing living. Nothing you have to care for. I mean, it sounds not about. real eco-friendly, but it's really friendly for me. And it's water-friendly. It's super water-friendly. Well, this may not be the house for you. Okay. Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch. Yes. It's for sale. Really? It's officially on the market. What, it has a train and it has a the giraffe. Amusement, hold on. The amusement park rides, elephants, and bubbles, the chimpanzee, I believe, are uh-huh. all gone. Oh. But Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch, now on the market for a cool $100 million. What? Still has plenty of extras, including a railroad station and tracks, a 50-seat movie theater with a private viewing balcony perfect for dangling your baby over, like he did. Oh, that's right. And a massive clock made of flowers. Huh. The late entertainer's purchase of the Los Olivos, California ranch for $19 million in 1987, located 40 miles south of scenic Santa Barbara. You know, it's a, it's a real estate listing, but it's it's there's a lot of bad stuff that happened. There. There's 22 structures spread out over 2,700 acres. Okay, so again, are you trying to sell me on this? 2,000 acres. Okay, that's a lot of acreage it's quite, by quite Santa Barbara. Yeah, the main house is 12,000 square feet, mm. six bedrooms, staff quarters situated next to a lake. There are two guest houses on the property, one with four bedrooms, another with two, as well as a swimming pool. And a cabana, because you got to have a cabana. you got to have a cabana, because then you... Never mind. Basketball and tennis courts, barbecue area, the Neverland Valley Fire Department building, which sadly no longer employs a full-time firefighter. Well... Jackson's super fans who don't have an extra $100 million in the bank to purchase the ranch, but still want to see it, are out of luck. The listing agent uh, says that told the Wall Street Journal that we're not going to be giving tours. Prospective buyers have to go through an extensive pre-qualification process even to get on the property. Just to make sure you have 100 mil in the bank. Right. Now, uh, So I'm, I'm guessing that's not an option for you. You know what? You're torn. It's, it's a deal. Don't get me wrong. I love clocks made of flowers. <laughs> but if, if, the, if the monkey's not going to be there. If, where's Bubbles? If Bubbles. What happened to Bubbles? What happened to Bubbles? The amusement park rides are gone. That was one of the big attractions that made it kind of the, the crazy place was there was an amusement park. But is, you just, is nobody going to, like, do a search? Like, they have the guest quarters and the, the servant quarters. But all of those things made the news. Yes. So if anybody just did a Google search under Michael Jackson and that property, I'm sure a bunch of court documents would come up. And it's kind of like, ooh. Yeah, there's an ick factor. So it almost seems like whoever buys it, it's 2,000 acres, so it's got to be fantastic. That's great. Right. But maybe what you do is you just raise it and get rid of everything. <laughs> just, and then you just put apartments on there. Yep. Yeah, Terry, do you have Condos. the number of the real estate agent? I have her name. We can look it up. <gasps> okay, perfect. Jimmy, are you, are you thinking of buying this, Jimmy? Well, uh, my wife and I returned a lot of toasters and uh, wow. quesadilla makers. So I was thinking. Nice. Well, how, how many? My, quesadilla makers did you return a lot a hundred million dollars worth 
Well, and, and toasters. Well, toasters. It wasn't just quesadillas. Did you have any Foreman grills? Joe, uh, Joe Foreman is it? Yeah, yeah, George. George Foreman George. grills. Because yeah. yep, those are worth a ton. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that we, we were able to wow. – we got a lot of duplicates. So and Maybe you just ought to go get bubbles. That's a good idea Because bubbles you can take anywhere. Yeah. Just saying. Also, remember uh, earlier this year Boston yeah. had a lot of snow. Oh, yeah. Do you remember piles that? and piles yeah. of snow Yeah, you remember they were everywhere? shipping snow out to everyone. Uh, the piles of snow in Boston are filled with garbage and debris picked up by snow plows during the city's <laughs> record-setting storms this winter. And even with the sun beating down on them now, the piles aren't close to fully melting away. A pile in the Seaport District that was once 75 feet tall is now only a three stories tall. Holy cow. Yeah. There's probably cars in that pile. So Bicycles. Know, and it says you have this hodgepodge of junk encapsulated in the ice. That's still melting. Sounds fantastic. Michael Dennehy, commissioner of the city's Department of Public Works, tells the Boston Globe that it's vile. He says, we're finding crazy stuff, bicycles, orange coins, orange cones that people use as space savers. Once I dug out the parking spot, they put something out there. That's my space. Dennehy said, crews capture the trash as it slowly breaks free from the mound, and so far they've removed 85 tons of debris. Holy cow. Out of the snow. I can't believe the snow hasn't melted. It's working. It's That's working. amazing. They need to come to Utah. We'll show them how to melt snow. Yeah, we're good at that. 91 degrees. Hey, uh, interesting, interesting. So if you're looking for your bicycle and you're in the Boston area, uh, I'm pretty sure it's in a pile of snow. Wow. Stories coming back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number one, folks. It's in the books. Stick with us. We'll come back next hour. We're going to be talking about finances and uh, what you need to make sure you're teaching and, and doing as a couple and for your family to to have healthier happier financial situations. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the program where we try to give you the tools, the ideas, the skills, the insight, whatever you need to grow a healthier, happier life for you. Welcome to the program today. we got a great, uh, great guest coming up. Alan Aquina will be joining us, founder of 101 Financial. He's going to teach us the basics of uh, financial management, money management. The basics. And we're doing this for Jimmy Crackhorn. Recently married. One month. Just uh, he just celebrated his uh, one-twelfth of a year anniversary. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's a big day. Wow. Yep. Is today the day? Yes, today's the day. So today, today is the day that you've celebrated a twelfth of a year. Yep. Wow. It's a big day. Do you remember when you celebrated a twelfth of a year, Terry? I did not. Yeah, nobody really does. No, because well, you, nobody actually celebrates a twelfth. You of only year. celebrate the first twelfth of your first year once. Yeah. Now, my wife probably said something about it, but I didn't pay attention. You know what it reminds me of? I uh, fell right into that husband <laughs> sort of role really quick in the yeah. relationship. So, like yada yada yada. Yeah. Whatever. What's for dinner? <laughs> um. It reminds me of, though, how you count prison time. You know what I mean? Like you'd celebrate mm-hmm. your first, hey, I got a month down. 
in a life sentence. Do you know this? No. Okay. I just you, you sound uh, like you were speaking from experience. Uh, no, I've just had a lot of clients. Shared experience. I've worked okay. with a lot of clients that All right. they count their months. You know. I'm not saying that's how Jimmy's doing it. <laughs> He's counting his prison term. I have a piece of chalk and a wall. Yeah. Yeah. There's one there's one twelfth of one year of a life sentence. Actually it's not chalk, it's a it's a little rock. I etch it into the wall. Men, they always say marriage isn't a word, it's a sentence. A life sentence. <laughs> Who's they? Uh, they, the people that do marriage quotes. Okay. So if you want, you can meme that. Do you use those in your marriage Never. counseling? I don't use that. Okay. That's a negative I think one. that would be counterproductive to what uh, you're trying to I, I'm do. trying to keep them happy and yep. productive. So I celebrate that you celebrate your one-twelfth of a year anniversary. Happy one-twelfth. Happy one-twelfth of a year. That's great. Yay. Woo. More to come. More to come. So on the show today, again, we're, we're, we're getting in deep, folks. We are going to show you how to financially make it forever in your marriage and your life, which James needs. <laughs> right, Jimmy? Yep. No sound effect? Um, Searching the database now. <laughs> yeah. Uh doesn't quite fit. Okay, well. <clears throat> anyway, we threw him off there. Yeah. Let's try. Uh, lots of stuff going on in the news. I wonder how, I haven't heard recently how uh, our Secretary of State's healing from the femur injury. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I wondered, I understand he's the Secretary of State. He's the Secretary of State. But he fell off his bike. No. He hit a curb. He hit a curb. <laughs> but, but still, it's like, you ride a bike. Yeah. He has all the gear. Right, yeah. you're you're traveling. If you see the way the Secretary of State travels, there's all these pictures of Hillary Clinton sitting in the back of a cargo plane. Yeah, which seems weird. And they take a bike with him so that he can exercise. Yeah. Now, if you were you're back on uh, what was it uh, during his election? He tried to run for president. He was windsurfing. Yeah, do you remember that? So you thought maybe he'd take his wind his windsurf board well, set up with him. I don't know if France is great for that. but I, It could be. We don't know. But France is known for the Tour de France. So That's he, why he was by, he, I think he was trying. He's maybe pulling a little Putin. He could be. He, he wrecked his – my point is – It's sad. It's kind of embarrassing. How much of that do you want in the news? Well, he doesn't want any of it. Now, under, the reason we know is he's the secretary of state and it's important yeah. to know where he is and what's right. going on and all that. But how much after the fact do we need to know? He's healing up. He, he busted a major bone in his leg. Major bone. Major bone. He is going to be in trouble, at least walking-wise, for quite a while. He'll be in a wheelchair. Do I mean, you, that's where you usually, you know, you'll, I mean, he could be in traction. If he actually broke the femur, that's because, I mean, I don't want to get technical. You are a doctor. But I am a doctor. Not that kind of doctor. Not that kind of doctor, but I was an EMT. But you've right. got the big muscles and tendons pulling these two legs together, and when you break the femur, you know, that leg shrinks about four inches. Right. So It ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. Let's just say that. It's going to be a while. But um, Hopefully it doesn't interrupt anything with the Iran well, yeah. talks or any of that. So. Well, and I hope 
And he's got a lot of people that do all the uh, heavy lifting on that, and he comes in and breaks any ties, I guess. Yeah. I think it's an opportunity for him that now he can pull a sympathy card. Oh, I would play that hard. Limp he, into the negotiations. Exactly. Absolutely. I, also, if he wants to cut it short, I, he's like, ah, oh, my I had leg. A car, I had a car salesman do that to me once. It didn't work, but he's like, he? oh. he's like, he ran a marathon that morning and he's like, oh. I made him come across the entire building because I wasn't working with his salesman well on whatever deal they'd made me. And he had run a marathon? Yeah. And he like twisted his like some plantar fasciitis garbage. So he's mumbo, serious mumbo, jumbo, yeah. witch doctor stuff. So he comes over, sits down what? and he's like, oh, I'm so, oh, my foot hurts and oh. So what's going on here today? So he's trying to do this, like, I'm injured. And I, I went through the sacrifice of walking over here and sitting down. And I just told him I need my car for a price you're not offering the car. So that could tip the scales with the Iran talks. So if it's, if it's the Iran talks, yeah, he could say, you know, I need you guys not to build the bomb. Come my, on. I, hurt, I broke my leg. Do you want to see my stitches? <laughs> I'm going to show you my stitches. It's not pretty. I was in Switzerland in surgery. Sad. Can you not build the bomb, please? Came See, he could totally do way. that. It's a good tactic. Yeah. He you guys, it work. You don't understand. No, not at all. Good thing we're not negotiating, right? Yeah. We did uh, we, we up with countries with lots of bombs. That's exactly right. We need to worry about this because he's the secretary. He is. He's a human being. And like I said, we don't need, really need to know that much. He can't have his privacy. We just nah. need to know, is he available to do his job yet? And if not, is there an undersecretary, which I believe there's like 90. There's 90 undersecretaries. One of them could step in. When If you look at 90 undersecretaries, that's 180 good femurs. Could be. I mean, if they, I'm somebody, assuming somebody, everyone's got a good Somebody femur. could have a limp. You don't you know. know. You can't well, account for that. So, well, best, again, we're just best wishes from the Matt Townsend show. Other news, the Department of Homeland Security conducted 70 undercover tests to determine if the Transportation Security Administration, mm -hmm. otherwise known as the TSA, TSA or TSA, could detect fake bombs and other weapons oh, at yeah. airport checkpoints. You know, their job. Well, let's see if they can do their job. We're going to sneak a bomb in, see if they can detect it. Right. How'd that go? A whopping 67% of those tests failed. Hey, what's that big thing right <laughs> with the curly wires coming out of it? It's uh, it's uh, it's a shaver, electric shaver. Is that a big electric shaver? Yeah, no, it's been checked. <laughs> Though Homeland Security and the TSA continue to maintain that America's airport security is keeping us safe, this is hardly the first time the TSA screeners have demonstrated similar incompetence. Okay, did they test how many times they giggled looking at the scanner photos? <laughs> did they test that? Because I bet they're 100% I've been that. waiting for someone just to cackle out loud, really loud, when I Whoa. walk through. Like, oh, my goodness. Look that at this. looks horrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> Mr. Townsend, we... Like, <laughs> hey, Eddie, come look at this guy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we don't need a further search, but uh, we do need to recommend you go see a doctor. <laughs> You're like, what? Wow. How do you know that? The agency, the, TS your the TSA, has had a long history of failing tests and missing loaded guns, knives, and explosives. Perhaps the most frustrating is that the TSA appears to be only getting worse. This latest test had a 95% failure rate. Oh, no way. While similar tests in 2007 only failed 60 to 75% of the time. Are they... Like, but if you don't put your shampoo in a plastic baggie, as it says here, oh. the terrorists win. So make sure you get your shampoo in a baggie, but, you know, guns and bombs work. Well, but shampoo's easy. That's the easy part. But it's the uh, baby that's sneaking in a bomb. Yeah. 
Well, that's probably why they're so vigilant in an annoying way is because they're failing these other tests. We had a plastic container of peanut butter. Uh-oh. Couldn't take it. You had to leave the whole plastic container? In Anaheim is a plastic container of peanut butter that I purchased. Well, where do you think it is now? I hope someone ate it. I hope they didn't just throw it away. No, it's probably didn't. in the iceberg in Boston. Could be. All that junk they left there in There is icebergs. a lot in that iceberg. <laughs> Not to be gross, but um, wow. Okay, so so TSA apparently struggling to pass the test. At this point, yes. Okay. Well, there's the news. There's the news. We're going to take a break. When we come back, my friends, Alan Aquino will be joining us from Hawaii. He's going to be teaching us about... Uh, the importance of, you know, financial health, financial understanding and information, how to budget, how to save some money. Up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, sometimes you just feel so bogged down with bill payments, insurance rates, daily spendings. It's hard to think you're ever going to dig your way out of all of this financial craziness. Whatever happened to piggy banks? Do you remember those days? Well, now that we live in the day of the credit card, it's so much easier to just spend money just by swiping that card. But what about saving for rainy days? We wanted to give you some tools and ideas about that. Alan Akina, founder of 101 Financial, is joining us. He It's a company in Hawaii, and he's the author of Amazon's bestseller, The Super Duper Simple Book on Money. And it tells us five basic money principles that will help us be much wiser with our money. Alan Akina, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Aloha, Matt. How are you? Aloha to you. And holy cow, you're from Hawaii. You're in Hawaii right now. I'm so jealous. I am. Beautiful Hawaii. Good well, to be here. It, and I, it's honored. We're honored to have you here because th- this issue of money, it's we've all got it. We've all got the opportunities, the challenges. We can make it. We can break it. Your whole organization, your whole purpose, though, is to start teaching and educating us on how to manage our money a lot better. Is that right? That's right. I've dedicated the last 13 years of my life to educating people on the basics of personal finance, the beginning steps, things such as budgeting and banking smarter and paying off debt, building credit, all, all of the things that we need to do, but we never learned in school. Somehow yeah. it just got by us, right? They never <laughs> provided this for us. It's crazy that we don't. We don't learn the very basics of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're given a credit card when we're in college and we get free student loans, we think, and it's just free money flowing in. But it could cause problems for us. Talk to us about how you got started in this business. What what was it that motivated you to even want to work on this issue? Well, I, I think it started when I was a youngster. Growing up in Hawaii, I... Uh, I used to be ashamed of this, uh, but I, I no longer am. I, I used to be what you call a free lunch kid. Yeah. I, I was. Uh, I, I got free lunch from kindergarten until I graduated, which means my parents made below a certain income level, and we, we went through some tough financial times. And I, I think those times really instilled in me this desire. And 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 as I got older and uh, started to have more responsibility, this question in my head keep, kept just ringing over and over again. The question is. Is there a better way? Mm. Am I missing something? And 
And that's what got me on my search to find out about money. And, and, and there's a ton of great books and, and resources out there on, you know, how to start businesses and make money and flip real estate or yeah. all this stuff. But, but what I was really looking for was my first step. What, what do I do? What, what's my first step to get my financial life organized? And, and how do I, how do I uh, get to that level where I can become an investor and do real estate or business and all this great yeah. stuff. I think that's what's so interesting about it. it, it Money is a difficult thing when you get into interest and budgets and and investments and stock market, 401k, all these things. And yet your goal of your book is to keep it simple. The, you can even call it the super duper simple book on money, which which is – I think the key, and I also love the fact that your parents were what motivated you because it's not that they probably weren't trying hard. It's not that they weren't doing everything they could. If you don't know the rules and if you don't know how to do it, you get behind. No, you know, I, I appreciate my parents for everything they, they did for me and, you know, the opportunities provided. But just like a lot of families across the country, they're trying hard. Yeah. They, they work hard. You know, they, we've got jobs, but we just don't know – you know, what to do with the money and how to take care of it. And, and it's that day-to-day living thing. You know, what, what's interesting to me is that we all have to take two years of algebra. Mm-hmm. We all have to take two years of algebra in school, but maybe 5% of us will ever use algebra again. So, but you know what, by the way, I've argued this already, Alan. I've, I argued with my parents about this for years. And yet, oh, I didn't know it was 5%, but only 5% will use it, but we'll use, we'll use finance all the time. But we, but 100% of us will use money, and, and that's my thing. That, that's why I think the, the fundamental principles of money management management should be taught in school, the, the latest junior senior year of high school. Because once we get into college, you get the credit cards, and then student loans. And the average the average student now today is graduated with close to thirty thousand dollars in combined student loan debt and credit card debt. It's Holy ridiculous. Cow. Yeah. Well, and especially if they're not going to go out and make. 35,000 or 30,000 in their first year of of their first paycheck. I mean their first year of income. It's it is we're we're inundated, right? We're kind of under underwater. Talk to us about the mistakes we're making. There's got to just be some very basic obvious mistakes that we could correct up front. Absolutely. So the first thing that I see is most people don't know their starting line, which is we, we don't really know how much money is leaving our pocket. Mm. We, we know how much we make because we get our paycheck, but we don't know what our expenses are. And, and that, that is the number one golden rule of finances to get, to get your, your money in and your money out, which are the two first principles in my book. You've got to have a grasp of that. Otherwise, what happens is most people go into what we call a negative cash flow situation where they're spending more than they're making each month. And, and that is a, a recipe for disaster. So I always recommend people uh, get a sheet of paper out, sit down with the family or at least your spouse, and write down every single expense from you know groceries to eating out to dry cleaning and gas. I mean, every little thing, stopping at, at, at uh, 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee, we're, we're going to put that down. We want to see exactly what we're spending and then take, take our income and minus that out from our, our uh, spending and see – you know, if we are we positive? Yeah, are we even in the game? Are we negative? Yeah, yeah. are we in the game? Because if we're not positive, we, th- that's the first thing is we got to figure out a way to to get there. And that's either going to be cutting back on our expenses 
or trying to earn more money. Those are the only two uh, solutions. When you think about that, Alan, it's that's like so basic. And yet I, I can't tell you how many times I personally with my wife, we personally haven't been able to even get by that first step because it sounds so simple. But then all of a sudden you're like, well, yeah, but that, oh, oh, I didn't even think of that. And then how much we eat out. Oh, yeah. And is there an easy way to kind of get and to track some of that information? I mean, I'm assuming a lot of the people that aren't budgeting well anyway may not even yeah. really know how to get that info. Right. There is an easy way that I found, and it's tracking one number. If we get caught up in, in, in all of these little expenses, there's tons of apps out there for your iPhone or Android where yeah. you can track every, every little detail. But what I found over the last 13 years is that for the average working family, that's a little difficult. So, yeah. so what we've done to help them is we help them to find the one number. The one number, which is their total money out. How much are you spending each month on your your fixed expenses and then your variable expenses? And, and, and we put those two together, and we come up with one number. So let, let's say it's it's um, $3,500 a month yeah. is their, their, their total out. Now, that's what we're going to be tracking. We're going to be tracking that that uh, that each week and each month to see if we're on track for that. Now, because it doesn't really matter if you went $100 over on your gas budget but $100 under on your, your grocery budget. Right. It, it's all the same. It's one number. So we're tracking that one number, and that's all they need to worry about. And each week we have them look to see if they're on track to stay under – $3,500. Well, and that's – think yeah. of that because a lot of times we're like, yeah, I need this much for the house and we make that you know line item budget. But if all I need to know is how much money was taken out of my bank <laughs> this month and and go over the last two or three months, if, if, if I you know withdrew so much money, if I wrote checks so many times, if I had automatic withdrawals, once I know the money out number – that's a huge step forward, even if you don't know all the minutia, right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and who really cares at the end of the day? You yeah. Know, you went over a little bit on your, you know, this and that and a little bit under. It comes down to the one number because that's the that's number great. that will either make us or, or, you know, put us in the positive or a negative because most people, their incomes stay relatively the same. Yeah. And then the money in is fairly easy. That's just your your income your right? income yeah so, your income your paycheck so your 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 business income whatever it is and, and if those are out of sync is, if i'm in the deficit then that should be my first eye opener that's right that's that's where we we need to see we we need to find out okay how much of a buffer do i have how much positive cash flow do i have each month or am i negative or am i breaking even yeah. and now here's what happens after a couple months of of tracking the one number you get an idea Okay, we, we can actually live on this budget of thirty five hundred, um, but then if you go over, what, what I suggest is I have people look at their credit card statements and their, their checking account statements to look at every detailed expense. That's that's when you need to look mm-hmm. at the details. Is when you go over. Uh, if you're under, hey, you're good. Bonus, whatever. Yeah. But the details will come when you go over that one number. And I guess and, the details. Look at the statement. Those details will actually eventually start to show me how I could consolidate stuff, get rid of stuff, make better decisions to increase the gap, right? That's right. That's what, when, you, when you see, when you, when you look at the details, now you can say, okay, honey, 
looks like we've been eating out a little bit too much. Yeah. You know, maybe we need to cut back and we can have more home meals or make home lunch. Like this morning I made uh, my kids uh, hot dogs for them to take to school so we can save a little bit of money on the school lunch. And, great. You know, you, you can do all these little things to, to help you, but you really don't need to get into the details unless you're going over that one number, right. that money out. What a simple plan that is. Again, that's not even that hard. Give us, we have a couple more minutes. Give us an, another you know, mistake or error we might be making that we might be able to correct fairly easily. Well, here, here's uh, something that, I, that a lot of authors like myself don't like is having people use credit cards. Yeah. But for me, I love I, I, I love teaching people how to use credit cards the right way because it's one of the best tools. In fact, I just uh, did a segment on my TV show in Hawaii about using credit cards and, and the benefits of using it. Now, the, the the reason for using a credit card is you can track your, your money out. Mm-hmm. And they, they send you a free report each month, which is called your statement. You can see all the details. And if you use it right, you can put all of your expenses, as many of them as you can, on your card and then pay it off each month before the grace period ends. That way we pay zero interest. We get all of the free perks yeah. that, that come with it, miles, cash back. Then we can also use our our cash that's sitting in our checking account to, to make us some interest and maybe have it sit in an interest-bearing account for that that billing cycle, which will usually last about 30 days, and then the grace period will last 15 to 20 days. So there's a lot of float time that you could use to to have your hard-earned cash working for you. That's great. And, then, um, and, and the key, favorite, uh, the key is you just don't you you just have to be paying it off every month. You just have to pay it off every every week. Now the other thing that I like about it, it, it makes it easier for you to track your one number. Because yeah, I love that. Every every credit card allows you to have that online access. So what I do is I tell my people that to check every week, every Saturday night. You go online and you check your account balance to see where you're at. And if your one number is 3500 for your credit card expenses, then you need to break that down into four weeks hmm. and see what that number is. And Because so, if you wait to the end of the month, it's too late, right? Yeah. It's too late to say, okay, yeah, yeah, wait over yeah. my 35 Busted. What do I do? No, I love this. And again, we're talking with Alan Akina from the website. If you go to his website, 101financial.com, he's in Hawaii and he's he's teaching us just the basics, the simple, basic things you need to know about money. He wrote the book, The Super Duper Simple Book on Money. And uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion and have him teach us some of the five basic money principles that we need to be we need to be managing and living in our lives. More with Alan Akina, trying to help you uh, make better financial decisions right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, you know, it's such a it's such a basic concept, right? Finances 101. Do you feel like you have a clue what you're doing? Do, did you even know that it takes 21 years of paying your mortgage? If you're in a 30-year mortgage, 21 years of paying your mortgage before the interest payments equal the principal payments? Did you know you're in it that long? Ugh. 
so many basics about finance that uh, and and just your money that a lot of us we're just not we don't even know we're doing it and we just extend yeah I'll just do the thirty year do the thirty year but there's a lot of little tools and principles we need to learn that's why we brought on Alan Akina to join us. He uh, runs 101financial.com. It's a website. If you go check it out, 101financial.com, just a great resource. Um, There's videos on there. There's a blog on there. Lots of tools to help you make better decisions financially. Alan is the founder of 101 Financial. He's also the author of Amazon's bestseller, The Super Duper Simple Book on Money. And he's uh, joining us from Honolulu. Are you in Honolulu? You know, I'm actually on the same island of Oahu, but I live oh. on the North Shore. There you go. I know right where you are. That's good living up there. Holy Great place, man. <laughs> good to have you. Good <laughs> to have you, Alan. Um, talk to us some more. In your book, you talk about five basic money uh, you know, principles that, that we need to be focusing on. What are some of those principles that you know we could be teaching our kids and maybe more importantly just implementing so our kids you know, get to learn it through us? Sure thing. I, I wrote the book to, to be the first step in our in our financial lives, and I, I wrote it and I, I wrote it around the five money principles. And by the way, we can we can give all your listeners uh, access to a free copy of the ebook if you want it. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, let's do that right now. If you how do we how do we get that? Okay, so they can go to my book website if they just go to alanakina.com. It's A L A N. A-K-I-N-A.com, Yep. You can go and download the book. There's two options. There's the Amazon paid version or the ebook free download version. Exactly the same book. Okay. There's nothing different. So they get the free book. That's good. Um, but the, uh, the the five money principles are, are these. Number one is money in, which is our income. Yeah. Number two, money out is our expenses. Number three is money that we owe. That's our debt. Okay. Number four is money that we grow, our investments. And then number five is money that we share. Hmm. That's the philanthropy. That's the doing good stuff. And and these five principles to me are the key to setting up a solid uh, foundation. If we can't get this right, it'll be very hard to make millions in real estate or, or to, to invest in your, in the stock market when, when we can't get the basic fundamentals right. So I, um, I encourage people to get to understand these, these five basic concepts of money to build that foundation to, to a better financial life. That's, again, it, it is that simple, and yet we complicate it. Then we're talking interest rates, and we're talking, you know, um, amortization and over time and, that, that I think is where we lose people. But when you break it down into simple ideas like money in, out, what we owe, what we grow, and what we share, okay, that makes sense. And, and I guess in the book, you walk us through, you know, the watchouts and and the 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 ideas that we need to make sure we've nailed down in each of those areas. Absolutely, I, I talk uh, about uh, each each step in the book, and then I also provide for each step a free download of a worksheet. So you need a worksheet for a budget worksheet. There's a, there's a worksheet for your debt. And then there's, you know, there's stuff for each principle you can download for free. Mm-hmm. There's, there's videos and, and all that good stuff in there for the book. So, and by the way, the book will take about 30 minutes to read. That's great. It, it is that easy. And, and, and what I've heard over the, over the years is that people feel like, 
I, I accomplished something. I read a book. Yeah. Most adults never complete a book. So the way I wrote it is for them to be able to be excited to turn the next page. Well, and if and, you're going to read a book, let's read this book. Let's read a book on making money and and getting out of this. We talked earlier um, about how these students are leaving school with like an average of school and credit card debt of about 30 grand. What l- let's get into a little bit about if if we are in the money we owe category. Let's say you owe 50 grand um from credit card and school debt and you let's say you make about 50 grand. What where should we be begin? Where do we begin to pay back a, the debt. Very simple when it when it comes to there's a lot of different concepts out there, but but we got to go with the numbers. You, you always want to play by the numbers, which the the key number to remember in debt is the interest rate. Hmm. That that's no matter what size the, the the loan amount is, the balance or whatever, we're looking at the interest rate. And so what what I suggest is. You take that from the book. There's a budget worksheet, and it's going to help you to organize it from the highest interest debt to lowest. And then what we do, now that you know the first two principles, which is your money in and money out, you'll know if you have a positive cash flow. So we got to work on that. Once you know if you have a positive cash flow, we're going to take that extra money and put it all toward that extra positive cash flow toward the highest interest rate debt. Hmm. For the other debt, we're going to pay the minimum. It's very simple. We just pay the minimum. That will satisfy the principal and interest payment, and then we'll take everything we got, and we're going to try and kill off that the highest interest. Yeah. Debt. Once we once we knock that sucker out, then we roll everything that will go into that into the next one. It's a very simple concept. It's known as a snowball yep. um, technique, it's, but uh, most people don't you know just, no. just don't do this. It's logical too. What's so interesting, I think, is I'd be more like inclined to take my money and not always go to the highest interest rate. But to the biggest nut that I got to crack, just That's to start right. pounding down on it. But the the benefit is if I take the highest interest rate and get that paid off sooner, then I can use that all that money to go eventually tackle the the bigger giant. That's right, absolutely. It's it's, it's a similar concept. Now, here, here's one of the biggest reasons why people are fearful because I I think the the large financial institutions, the, these banks, these lenders. Try to make everything seem so complicated. Yeah. They come up with these big words like characterization and all this stuff, and it scares people. And it, what, what it does is it scares us into being needy. So because we don't understand it, we need to listen to our banker, our lender. And, of course, a lot of them are going to pitch us the thing that makes them the most commission. Sure. It, it, uh, it, it, it's a crazy cycle that goes on, and that's why I'm trying to empower people to learn the basics so they can make these decisions on their own and, and be empowered to make the right decision. That is true. It's kind of uh, we're, we're, we're afraid and, and we're scared into being dependent on their services. And, and, and an interesting thing, if you could just simplify it like you are – then it's not – it doesn't have to be as scary, but it also – it empowers you. Now the power is back in my court instead of me just having to keep paying, you know, to get beat up every day. Right. If you could do the same thing with cable companies, Alan, I think you might be into something because <laughs> those darn cable companies, they use the same technique. Talk to us yeah. about uh, when it comes to budgeting. I, it seems like – 
every time I hear, and I hear it at my church a lot, you need to get a budget. And in my head, I think, oh, geez, I'm not, to me, budgeting seems so disciplined. Just getting, even getting the money in and the money out figured out was a pretty big advancement for me. What are some other techniques of just making, putting yourself on a budget and sticking to it? You know, here, here's the thing. Once you get that mental mind shift and you know you can get money working for you and, and, and everything turned around, it, you really change. It just it changes you. And so the way you do that is to create what I call a 90-day roadmap. So for the, for the next from today and for the next 90 days, we want to map out everything. So we're going we're gonna to write down every dollar that's coming in and what day it's coming in through the next 90 days and every dollar that's going out. Hmm. That's that's expenses that, that that could be debt payments, and we want to write it on the uh, on on this roadmap, and we're going to track it. Okay, so we're going to put it down for 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 the next ninety days. Once you start to see that sort of unfold uh, in front of you, it makes life a little more doable and more you, you get more excited to actually want to want to do these things. And you start seeing where I, if I make this extra payment, this, yeah. If I take this money to put to this debt, then you get a calculator out. Maybe it's an, a simple interest calculator online, like bankrate.com is a ton of them. And you figure out, if I make this extra payment, this is how much interest I'm going to save by making this this, uh, this big chunk payment. Yeah. Then you get excited, like, wow, I can do this. And then you keep going, and then, then it gets even more exciting. Then, then it doesn't become a budget. Then it becomes a game. Yeah, it's game time. But it's game with your money, isn't it? It is game with your money, and that's you know the thing is I, I try to help people to understand that money truly is a game. Yeah, and our opponent, our opponent is the bank. Yeah, and that's... they're making so much interest off of us, so much fees oh. that if we just took time to find ways to save money on the interest and fees, we don't need to work overtime. We don't need that second job. We all this saved interest is going to make our lives much much better. Yeah. I, I love, too, that you put it in a 90-day plan because, you know, 90 days, is, it seems more doable to me. It's it's more realistic. And, it, it like, I just look at the next few months. A lot of people will be going into summer. Their kids will be home. So, you know, it might be that, boy, in these 90 days, we might be able to really – save a lot of money by eating at home more for the next 90 days, maybe not going out and spending so much money on entertainment, you know, in, in Hawaii, let's just go to the beach more. <laughs> let's bring our That's own right. water. And I'm just thinking I could do that for 90 days through the summer and maybe get ahead a little bit. Absolutely. See, The, the, the thing I like about the 90 days, it, it takes people further than they've ever been because most people today across the country, their reality is, Paycheck to paycheck, so we're really only looking ahead two weeks. Right, but we can take you ahead ninety days. Now you can get excited about something. Now you can actually see some movement. But bigger than any money that you'll save is the peace of mind. Oh yeah, the peace of mind that you have just knowing that I can make it through the next ninety days. All my bills will be covered, and I'll have this. Wow. Yeah. This, this is this. I, I can sleep now. I don't yeah. have to stress out. I have to fight with my wife anymore, you know. And you're getting ahead, yeah, and you're getting those the discipline to just start, you know, eating this elephant one bite at a time. I guess we're eating elephants in that metaphor. Um, let me let me ask you this, though, Alan, because because of how you, you were raised, you know, watching your dad and mom just kill themselves to, to make it and to make – and they were doing everything they can. Um, 
Is there hope? So when you see somebody that's maybe on government assistance that's deep in the debt hole and they're trying to dig out, have you seen in your real-world experience that people can actually make it out? You know, I have, I've seen it 10,000 10, times over. I, You know, in Hawaii, it is a beautiful place to live, but it, it, it is also very, very expensive. Yeah. One, one of the most expensive places to live in the country and the income levels aren't that high. Right. So, so my company, One One Financial, we work with people that are that are middle income families that are working hard. They're trying. They're in the you know in a ton of debt. The average mortgage mortgage balances here are four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand plus. Wow. And so it's there's a deep hole, but I see it happening every day. Every day it's 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 happening because they're getting their budget. They're getting their one number. They're doing their 90-day financial roadmap, and they're attacking their debt, like you said, like eating an elephant one bite at a time. And when you take that first step, it's easier to take the next step, and mm-hmm. then it becomes easier and easier. And then then, then, uh, then life becomes more bearable. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the thing about money, here's, here's one thing I want to share. You probably already know this, is that the number one cause of divorce in America yeah. is, is money problems. It's the number one thing they're fighting financial. about? You bet. That's the crazy thing, and it doesn't have to be that way because most people make enough. We just don't know where it goes. And especially now that you have so many dual incomes and – I mean, it's it's crazy. We can't talk about it necessarily, right? And we we don't know how to 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 do it. We're not necessarily good at it, which is why I think your book is so valuable. Uh, we have about one more minute, Alan. And I, I to me, it almost has to kind of go full circle. The interview does. How great would it be uh, if you you know if you could have been teaching your dad this twenty years ago, thirty years ago, when you were growing up? Like and, and like you said earlier, it would buy him more time. He maybe could have been home more, and I don't know if he was or he wasn't. But what a great thing you're doing! And so maybe just address that the impact of having money isn't just being rich. What are the real benefits of getting ahead? Yeah, you know my my parents. I love my parents, and they they had they've only owned one house during their their whole lifetime, and uh, and, and so th- this. This stuff that we're teaching now, the basics of personal finance, the biggest complaint I get is, hey, Alan, where were you 30 years yeah, ago when right. I first started my mortgage? When right. I first got out of college, I, I wish I would have known this. And so to me, it's key that all parents get a hold of, 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 of the five money principles and learn this stuff and then be able to teach it and pass it on to your kids, the next generation. Let's set them up for success. Because the the number one source of financial education for children comes from parents. We we can't leave it up to our school system. So we have to do it through our example and through what we share with these kids. And and that's how we're going to change our economy by by helping individuals and families change their personal economy and then pass it on to their kids. And and that's my message that I hope we can get out there to people. And I hope you you read the book and and, and you pass it on to your kids because this is – for high school kids to, to working adults, that's everybody great. would enjoy that book. No, I downloaded it. And so, again, anybody that's listening, you just go to the website, uh, www.alan, A-L-A-N, Akina, A-K-I-N-A. Is that all it is? Alanakina.com? That's it. 
alanakina.com. And there's the book right there, and you can either go buy it on Amazon or you can just get the free download. Get and I'm my one, kids guys. are reading save it. Money. Get the free yeah, one. save money, huh, Alan? Smart stuff. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, Alan, and your great work. And thanks again for the the free download. Uh, also, would recommend everybody go to his website. Um, really, one hundred and one finance dot com, one hundred and one financial dot com. Another great resource for you as well. Folks, again, remember, we're just trying to give you the tools. We can't, uh, we can't do it for you, but uh, we can get you the tools. And Alan gave, him, gave us the tools for free, for heaven's sakes. We'll take a break and come back, continue the discussion um, just about life and discipline. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, I love it. I love it when somebody makes something complicated easy. Now, am I alone in this? Because it, it, it seems like finances and money, it's complicated. Let's turn to Jimmy Crackcorn. Jimmy Crackcorn, do you and your missus, Kaylee, do you find budgeting difficult in this your first month? Twelfth. The, the first month of marriage. It's very different, just that we're both used to just planning for one person, so planning for two is is very different. Now, you've told us before she's a great saver. Yes. She's very conservative, get the thing saved. Yeah, she gets a kick out of budgeting. She loves budgeting. So money. she would enjoy the free book that Alan Akina is suggesting we all go get. Yeah. She'd enjoy that. Yeah. You ought to get her that book. For our two-month month anniversary. Our two, uh, one-sixth. Yeah. Yeah, one-sixth one of a, of a, a marriage anniversary. And it's yeah. budget-friendly, being that it's free. Yeah. The electronic version on his website. Yeah. That was that was free, which I'm sure she'll enjoy. Mm-hmm. Easy to download. And you're going to give her a free thing for your first sixth of marriage anniversary. It's huge. Budget friendly. But it seems like you're a tightwad. Yeah, you are cheaping out. Cheaping out on your first sixth. I mean, I would get her something. <laughs> I'd get her something nice. I'd get her a, I don't know, get her a, a supersize her drink. You kind of both told him to get something free, and then now you're not get something free. Well, which which I mean, side are you on? Well, I guess I'm saying we know he makes a ton of money. He's on the Matt Townsend show. Sure, he's rolling in it. Rolling in it. And we know she makes money. Correct. Because of their wedding. We know we know how that turned out. Yes. It's huge. But then then if I did get her something super nice though, then I would have to have the conversation of James, did you get this for me or did you get it for you? I hate mm. that conversation. Yeah. That's why you just say, I gotta go and then you walk out. <laughs> then you don't ever have the conversation. Or 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 you go, You don't understand me and walk away. I, yeah, that's what you right? throw everything, you drop whatever you have, and you just say, You don't know me. Yeah. I cannot believe you don't. <laughs> just know keep, who yeah, I it's am. like, it's like a mental combat thing. I'm like, Fine, if you're going to, if you're going to look at my gift and question it in any way, I'm just going to confuse you and walk out the door. Yeah. I could do what you said on the show yesterday, Matt. What I was could that? just, uh, uh, 
just go all stiff and just fall on the yeah. floor uh-huh. and just lay there for like a fainting a goat. Minutes. Fainting yeah. goat, yes. Fainting goat. You know what? When you're in a tough time, fainting goat works every time. What was the quote we always use? We use it all the time. Um, if at if first, first you don't, you don't Succeed. Succeed. Fainting goat. Fainting goat all the time. All the time. If at first you don't succeed, fainting goat all the time. Those are words to live by. Yeah. That was moving. Yeah. I'm glad you remembered it. Because that's, it's hard to, it's a hard quote to remember because it doesn't rhyme. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of those. I I was thinking of stitching it on a pillow. Yeah. Because I thought it was something really profound. But then you were like, do I capitalize fainting goat or is it just lowercase? Yeah. The punctuation is difficult as well. It's hard. And, you know, it's just I can't come up with all the memes, but I've come up with a lot of them. If at first you don't succeed, fainting goat all the time. Oh, man. Terry's wiping a tear. You're not very good at this, are you? (laughs) Did you see? (laughs) Terry wiped a tear away. Um, Anything going on? uh, Anything else in the news? Financial news. Is there financial news? Because we don't usually get to the financial news. A New York City man whose first name is God. Is pardon? God. G-O-D. God. Has settled a lawsuit with a credit reporting agency that had refused to recognize his legitimate name. Hold it. So God had a lawsuit? Not the God. A God. A guy named God. A guy named God. Okay. Uh, under the agreement reached in the Brooklyn Federal Court this week, Equifax will enter God <laughs> Gazaroff's name into its database. The terms of the settlement were not disclosed. Gazaroff now has a robust 820 credit score. Wow. Which is, yeah, wow. boy. It's almost He's, celestial. <laughs> he says he was shocked by Equifax's refusal to acknowledge his moniker. The Russian native is a Brooklyn jewel store owner who is named after his grandfather. He huh. says it's a relatively common name in his native country. Oh, okay. He told the New York Post that he is relieved that the matter has been settled and plans to buy a new BMW. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So God got his credit score. Well. <laughs> 820. It's not bad. <laughs> who, I mean, but who sues a guy named God? I know. I think you're just playing with fire. They're That's lawyers, scary. so they don't really care. But that's interesting. What country is he from? Russia. Hmm. Some place in Russia. A region in Russia where the name God is common. Well, it seems like one politician in Russia would want to use that name. Yeah, you think it'd be, I don't know, I mean, popular. Yeah. You could market it well. Yeah. I think people would already relate to you. Your name is God. And you wouldn't need to, you know, drum up other stuff and images. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, you learn something every day. A Wisconsin cheesemaker uh-huh. is debuting a 20-year-old cheddar this week mm. that is short in supply and big on price. And I'm sure stinks to high heaven. The cheddar from Hook's Cheese Company of Mineral Point will sell for $209 a pound. Wow. That's some serious cheddar. That's amazing. Most of the 450-pound supply is already spoken for with orders coming in. After the planned sale went public earlier this year, oh, so people are getting in with yeah. the advanced sales. Although the price of the cheddar is steep, it's fair because the hooks could have sold it long ago, according to cheese retail and restaurant owner, owners who so wanted it. did they intend to do this, or did they like, oh, well, man, we found this cheddar thing in the back of the shop. They've been aging it for years. Is that what they say? So Is that which, what we're calling it? Well, I mean, I, I age things in the fridge, and then my wife tells me to throw it out. Cause well, it's my son was aging something under his bed. Socks, yes. 
And I'm pretty sure we're if not. If they sell that. all the 450 for 209 a pound, that's $94,000 off a brick of cheese. But wouldn't I want to taste it? Put cheddar. that on your nachos. You know what? I swear I went to a 7-Eleven once, and they had cheddar that was that old. Yeah, it's probably not as good, though. It wasn't aged. Not right. as aged correctly. Uh, if you're looking for a movie to watch this summer, because I know yeah, you are. I am. The original summer blockbusters heading back into movie theaters celebrate the 40th anniversary of Jaws. Oh, Turner Classic Movies Jaws. partnering with some movie theaters around the company or the country. They will put it in 500 theaters. They'll re-air the movie. This will be on June 21st. Hmm. And Wednesday, the 24th of June, each screening will be preceded by a special introduction from the uh, some guy from TMC, we, or TCM, the Turner Classic Movies channel. Well, it's better than They'll TMZ. Be, they describe Jaws over influence and the, his overall influence and legacy and all we, the history. We watch the movie every know. year. We watch it as a family. My kids are into Jaws. So Jaws is coming back if you want to watch it. It's great. And then when you want your kids to go to bed, you just start going, dun, dun. Right. Or ever go swimming again. Dun, dun. Probably don't. Yeah. So there you go. That's great news. So Jaws and Cheese and a guy named God that has a good credit score. That's the news you're bringing us. Well, I got another one. Oh, what? Your kids take the SAT or is it the ACT? They take Ours take the ACT. I know it's different in different parts yeah. of the country. They also have standardized tests with the school district, but that's mm-hmm. more for the My school My kids district. don't even take it. They take it four times. Okay. That's I took it twice. Did you? Failed. Got worse yeah. as it went on. Well, that's my, <laughs> my brother who was, um, I was a senior and he was in ninth grade. Yeah, he got a better score sitting next to me in the class. So. Makes you want to punch him. Yeah, he's kind of a show off, but we're okay. <laughs> Parents say hundreds of SAT tests taken by Virginia students at a high school were lost in the mail, leaving students in a bind. Local TV reports are, say the tests are missing for 300 students who took the SAT on oh, May 2nd. Man. School board representatives said the tests were shipped via UPS as instructed to uh, College Board, the nonprofit company who administrates the test. Parents say students will not have to retake the test. Uh, you know, uh, can't t- you just t- say, t- just give me a 30? Yeah. They, they said that the situation that it's working to accommodate students by scheduling makeup day or arranging a transfer to a full test session, the makeup date, the 20th of the month. So they, oh, uh, wow. they all have to retake the test. You think of the stress and the buildup and the moment you get in there and now you got to do all that again. And go oh. restudy, get a good night's sleep, fight with your parents, right. everything that precedes the, the big testing. Oh, man. Poor kids. Well, welcome to life. Today, it's your ACT scores. Tomorrow, it'll be your lab results. <laughs> Either way. We lost and we'll need another one. We're going to need to do another biopsy. Another oh, biopsy. Oh, oh come on. You... Oh, here we go. It's Jaws. That's so scary. That is it's creepy. Start looking around. You know what's even scarier is if we look through into the producer's booth. Yes. James is actually like on a bass cello. Is that what he's doing? This is the live performance? It's... This is like high class. He's got the French horn too. It's a one-man mm-hmm. orchestra yeah. in there. Sean's on the French horn. Okay. <laughs> and pretty soon, Kaylee will be on the banjo. Wow, good job. Just for the upcoming movie, Jaws, celebrating 40th anniversary. We're going to take a break, uh, my friends. Then we'll come back, top of the news, uh, top of the hour with the news, and then a whole other hour of insight. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you a leg up. So you can see what you can do in your life to take it back, to have a healthier, happier, longer life. Welcome to the show. Today we got a great one for you. We're going to be talking with a, a graduate student who's been doing some research at Brown University. He's the lead author on a study that's going to be talking about, can video games make you smarter? I mean, a lot of the guys I know that play video games, they don't seem smarter. Not to, not to look at any two of them. In particular, that was rude. I felt judgment. <laughs> you were trying to shame, I'm, I'm, shame me in some way. I'm trying to video shame you. Don't appreciate that. Versus video game, I video shame. I think it's a great thing, but apparently, it is actually making you more visually smarter. I don't know that your shoot me up games do that. My my aiming skills, my marksmanship, I believe, are your marksmanship better. on a video game. Have you have you has it ever equated to your marksmanship in real life? Why would I need that? Great point. Having credible thumb-eye coordination. Right. In fact, that which is amazing, because have you seen his thumbs? Huge. I, I can His drive, eyes, tiny. I can drive a variety of vehicles at any time. I can switch from car to motorcycle to truck to helicopter. To airplane. To boat, to wave runner. Well, to you, you know. 10 speed, but you know. You, you know that flying a helicopter on a video game is not mm-hmm. the same. Exactly the same. Well, do you have foot pedals? You don't need foot pedals. Well, are are you inverted or not? That that's the real question, and, right? And it's all about the y, x, y yep, axis. Yep. Yeah, you can switch that in the controls. I usually switch it back so up is up, down is down. So it's not the same yeah. in that way, in that respect. But I understand once you get behind the controls that you pull back to go up and push forward to go down. Yeah, so, so that would I, be I the get only, that. Yep, that, you, that mental switch happens because I, I understand it's real when you're sitting there. And I'm jump, pretty sure you could adjust that in the options. May I jump right. in right now? I just want to jump in right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just jump in on my show. Um, <laughs> you guys are geeks. A little bit. Did you see how you just went off? Yeah, so? You just went off it's on a, a big tour deal. of geekery. It's a big deal. When you're playing a game and you're used to up being okay, down but, and down being, uh, you, you have to switch it to where you're comfortable. Okay, but I think this is the point. Oh. Is it doesn't seem like these <laughs> games are making you smarter. But I mean, maybe are. it is because you're getting the X, Y but, access right. Right. So Absolutely. maybe that's smarter. It just seems like socially, it's seriously drawn, bringing you back about 20 years. Do you know how many bank robberies I've planned? I mean, planned. You have to start with, you have to select the right crew members to make sure you have the right skills on the team so when you break into the bank, you don't all of a sudden find out you have a guy that can't crack a safe. <laughs> you got to think of these things. But why, why are you planning a bank robbery? It's part of the game. Well, and I've planned entire civilizations. There you go. From Stone Age up until, you know, the year 2200, you know, it just is throughout this, time. Is this why you weren't getting married? Is this what was going on before we took in and, t- and intervened and took over your life and got you married? Is this what happened? Is this where you were? I was planning infrastructures of... You're like building cities? I, yeah. I, I've built cities, and then once the city's built, you have to deal with the citizens and their real... Yeah. Granted, simulated volcanoes, that's UFOs. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so this monster is monster attacks. That's why we're doing the show because oh. 
We're going to go talk to Aaron Burrard. He's going to talk about how there are some benefits to video gaming that might make you smarter visually. And then I'm going to show you how to fix YouTube. <laughs> because there's other things we might want to be working on than video games that might actually help learning. I don't know. You guys may have heard of like books, hmm. reading. Books. Goals. You might have a goal setting that, that doesn't involve robbing a bank. Winning trophies on a computer game. Yeah, winning yeah. a token on a video game. Kind of like winning trophies. Yeah. You go to a little trophy page and you see all your see, trophies. We're here to help the people and no. not – we just don't want – you guys just may not be the best example <laughs> of where we want to go with this. So I'm just saying, just give us – stick with us on the show because if you have – this was almost a, a dramatization, but it wasn't. It was more like a tragedy. Yeah, it was a confession, really. It's it was real a confessional, <laughs> and it's real life, and it is a tragedy. And so if you have kids like my team, we're here. We will show you. Just stick with us. For the next 40 minutes or so, we will fix you. Anyway, uh, any um, any news going on? Anything going I, on in the news? I read this um, in the last couple of days. Uh, there is a complicated web of treaties and other deals mm-hmm. That place the United States in with some military responsibilities in relation to about 67 other countries in this world. So we have obligations contractually by treaty with about 67 other countries yes. that militarily enmesh us. Yes. Well, which which, which seem... on the surface looks problematic. Oh, really? But also – in the depths of it all. This is just over the many years we've made treaties that... This is thanks to a complicated mesh of treaties and other deals put in place since the end of World War II, the United States is theoretically obligated to defend 67 nations comprising about a quarter of the world's population in the event of war. Wow. This data comes from Tufts University political scientist Michael Beckley, who recently published a study entitled The Myth of Entangling Alliances. Some of the countries on the list are obvious, Israel, France, for example, while others like Cuba may come as a surprise. Of course, legal obligation does not, does not necessarily translate to military action, particularly if our ally is not attacked within its own borders. As Beckley notes, for the first 165 years of American history, the U.S. had just one mutual defense agreement, that was with France, mm-hmm. and founding fathers like Jefferson warned against entangling alliances. So he warned us against it, and yet we are totally entangled. Beckley concludes that today Americans' wars are due less to these treaties and more to the tendency of U.S. leaders to define national interest expansively, to exaggerate the magnitude of foreign threats, and to underestimate the cost of military intervention. See, okay, this is a, this is a beautiful example of what you would miss is a story like this if you were just video gaming. Well, I... I video game and I found this. I did both. Yeah. No? And sometimes the video game is uh this. What would happen <laughs> if that if that actually happened? Like one of the scenarios is you know, <laughs> Russia marches across any border. Mm-hmm. We probably have an alliance with that country. Yeah. Now so, we don't necessarily I don't think we had one with Ukraine, but we uh, as we probably said, do now. We do US now. US leaders define national interest expansively. Mhm. Or in China, there's a lot of South China Sea, you know, where they're building yeah, these, the these makeshift islands and cement, you know, pouring cement down for runways in the middle of the ocean. Uh, if China makes any moves on Taiwan, they're an ally. Well, then we expand. And we have some agreements to where we're going to be there. That's why we're already there. Yeah. 
And there just comes a point where it's like, how far do we have to be the world police? How far do we have well, to go out and defend the world? I guess according according to this, it's pretty far. As far as, far as we can, sixty seven countries. So I mean, well, I mean, when you think about it, it also makes sense because we're also giving how many countries aid. Mm-hmm. So we're already spending hundreds of billions of dollars on aid. But at the same, now we have to defend our aid. At the same time, we have so much mm-hmm. we can help others. You know what this is called so, in my world? Scope creep. It yes. just keeps creeping, and the thing keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until you drown because you're done creeped out of your scope so that's not the technical term but there's some information interesting there. interesting passenger jet trying to land at LaGuardia yeah uh, nearly collided with a drone Uh-oh. at 2,700 feet oh my heavens so the drone wasn't just just 500 but, feet up it but was, like hold on like a little like remote control drone or like a full-on drone drone like a it, military it, drone. it doesn't give a uh, an accounting of what this is it wasn't Amazon was it I don't believe it was an Amazon drone trying to make a delivery. Because that would make a really bad This is all from the FAA. The crew of the Shuttle America Flight 2708 reported climbing 200 feet to avoid a collision as the plane made its final approach to the airport, LaGuardia, uh, 11 a.m. over the weekend. The jet with 70 to 78 passengers was arriving from Washington, D.C., landed safely without any reported injuries. Meanwhile, hours before the drone incident, five commercial airline pilots reported being targeted by green lasers that were pointed at their planes over New York and New Jersey. That was last week. The same airport? Yes. Wow. Same day. It's like, maybe it was, was there a holiday? Was everybody out at the park with their... I'm not sure, but you had lasers and then that was earlier in the day and then they had this drone miss and... It's getting, this is getting, this is what we've talked about. Also, over the weekend, Mm -hmm. one of our precious celebrities was injured by a drone. Who? While performing in Tijuana, Mexico. Uh Uh-huh. That's how you say it, right? Tijuana. Tijuana. Enrique Iglesias. (gasps) No way. What happened? Grabbed a drone taking photos of the crowd at one of his concerts. He sliced some of his fingers in the process, the AP reports. Iglesias stepped to the side of the stage, sought some treatment to stop his hand from bleeding, but the show must go on. He then sang for another ha- uh, half an hour. That's sad. Concert over, he hopped on a plane to L.A. to get some help from a specialist. So he must not have known exactly how a drone stays in the air. <laughs> he just reaches out <laughs> to grab it. It's, it's, you know, it's got blades. And there, there's pictures online. He's standing there singing and his other wow. hand's wrapped in a bloody rag. Look at and... this amazing floating object in front of me. I might want to take... <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch the drone. <laughs> Let me laugh. Like, really? I've seen the camera ones that are shooting pictures. and Yeah, those are heavy duty, too. Yeah. Those are the ones you don't grab. They have a, a rig on them because you have the, the big camera yeah. on there. So I'd also, I wouldn't grab any. I wouldn't grab one with a camera because it's got a lot of heavy rigging. But I also wouldn't grab one that says USAF. Right. Don't be grabbing that Could one. have a Hellfire missile on there <laughs> for you. all you need. Thought losing a finger was bad. We'll take a break, my friends. Uh, we're going to come back and talk with uh, Brown University's uh, author of one of their studies. Aaron Berard will be joining us to talk about can video games make you smarter? We'll find out when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, video gaming has gone from an entertaining way to pass time to a legitimate sport. In fact, some are arguing that e-games should be in the Olympics. 
And the argument asserts that chess has faced the same challenges as e-games, being considered only as a mind sport and therefore was rejected. So are these mind sports actually helping your brains? Are they helping us to uh, to be able to do some tasks faster or not? Well, according to a recent study from Brown University, it suggests that gamers actually have a better ability to compete and uh, learn visual tasks. Aaron Berard, a graduate student from Brown University and the lead author on a study, joins us right now to uh, to walk us through some of his learnings. Aaron, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. So it, it really, it's great to have you on because a lot of times it seems like, and maybe maybe it's these older generations, they look at the video gamers as like, come on, you're just wasting time. But in your study, you've actually found that video gamers um, actually are, are gaining and have some abilities that non-video gamers don't have or have lower abilities. Yeah, pretty much. Um, basically, like the lines of our research is uh, – uh, we've been looking at, you know, the general learning process in the brain. Um, and, you know, we tested heavy video game players, and they seem to overall do a lot better. So I would I would think that that would be pretty true. And, and, and that's visual learning, right? So maybe just walk us through your study and, and what you were trying to figure out. Yeah, so basically um, uh, we, we study something called uh, visual perceptual learning, which is um, essentially how the uh, the, the uh, the brain's visual system learns in response to the environment. Uh, so what we did is we took a group of heavy video game players, um, mostly like first-person shooter games, things like that, yeah. and we compared them to a regular population of uh, just giving them like a standard perceptual learning task. Um, so we look at performance differences from two sessions across two days, um, and we saw a huge improvement with the gaming population compared to the non-gaming population. Huh. Um, so we were thinking that there's not only improvements in speed of learning, but also something else going on with uh, in between the overnight process, like something with consolidation. Interesting. So is this what does this mean to the rest of the world? Like what what how how will this help the average Joe in life? I think this would be um, well. I think the biggest thing here is that you know it can kind of remove that. Uh, that stigmatism around video games, and you know they're not just a waste of time. I yeah. think that's probably one of the most important issues. Yeah, and it is. It really is improving some visual cues and, and ability, I guess, to learn. What What did you sense was the ability of just the overnight? I guess that's just your brain making sense of it. Yeah. So there's um, there's some theories that suggest that uh, sleep is very critical to the learning process. Um, you know, that's why they say don't cram the night before an exam and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, there's some sort of uh, idea that we have here that maybe the the uh, gaming population has more efficient mechanisms during sleep that allow them to learn quicker. Huh. They, they, they it, which is such an interesting, is, is it something more just about the fact that they are, their brains have been on hyperdrive for six hours or however long they've been playing the game. What, what would you attribute that, the advantage to the gamers when it comes um, to that well, in their there's, sleep? There's like a couple things. Uh, so, you know, they could just be used to that type of uh, visual training, like, you know, being constantly exposed to video games, like you said. Yeah. Um, it's also quite possible that what, when they're being exposed, their brain is kind of, making these shortcuts that is allowing uh, for more, you know, efficient um, uh, retainment of 
you know, everything that they're seeing during during wakefulness. Hmm. So really, we're just the gaming is actually just creating a better maybe wiring or a better processing. Yeah, I would I would like to think so. It's still like um, it's pretty difficult to really infer that from what we have. Yeah, you know, we don't have any like imaging data or uh, any sort of electrophysical data to go along with this. But um, you know, there's plenty of like prior research out there that does suggest that um, uh, like heavy video gaming would influence the um, you know, the processing of the visual cortex and things like that. Is this, I, I'm assuming there's other research out there as well that video games aren't, uh, you know, what mom and dad used to teach us, you know, they're not softening our brains and turning us into vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> but so is this why you're studying it? Are, are you trying to basically validate the fact that these are of use? These are these are useful tools to help our our brains and our, our thinking. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's, but, um, I think there's a big component here with, you know, even like sort like forms of education. I think one of the biggest problems, at least like with some forms of education today is that, you know, people can't get engaged in it or people don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you know, if you have people that don't want to really do it, it's going to be harder for that process to happen. So if you can make it fun, you know, why not? Yeah, and we've even seen we've had other guests on the show that have talked about treatment of PTSD using video games as a yeah. as a way to to actually, you know, help the brain access experiences and then they could use other skills, social skills, emotional management skills to kind of manage that. So really, I mean, it we just didn't we don't know what we don't know, right? We're we're now barely just starting to open up the power of these games. Yeah, well, the whole field of neuroscience itself is still pretty young. So um, a lot of these studies are very new and they're very interesting. Um, there's this one particular, uh, there's a few studies actually about this that come to mind uh, that have looked at, um, what is it, uh, attentional modification of heavy frequent uh, video game players. So the idea is that there's um, some sort of, uh, not only a tent, like modification in the visual system that I've been talking about, yeah. but also in higher cognitive processes like attention. And people have been thinking about maybe using this as you know some sort of remedy for ADHD or things like that. Um, you know, you can kind of strap extrapolate there. Yeah, I mean, because it's interesting. Um, just some of the learning that's going on with uh, the video games is it only visual learning? Um, is that what you studied mainly? The, it's the easiest to study. That's what I would say. Okay. Um, but, you know, you can make these kind of guesses about what's going on in higher order learning, uh, you know, just the decision-making process and stuff like that, too. Um, so I wouldn't say it's far-fetched to uh, make those assumptions. Because, too, I mean, there, to me, it seems like there might be a corollary between a video gamer and ADD. And we might just think the video gaming causes ADD, but really it yeah. might be the the ADD person is drawn to the video game because it it might help them reorganize their thinking or, you know, somehow create a, a, a structure in their brain. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and I think, I think like you said, there is like kind of that association between yeah. that high energetic population and, you know, people who play video games all the time and stuff like that. Um you know, I really wouldn't be surprised that, you know, certain populations just wouldn't be drawn to playing video games mm -hmm. for that reason. I guess, you know, that this could be even one of the uh, things with our study, though. Yeah. Um, 
since we do have our, you know, our uh, our group of heavy gamers, they may just <laughs> they may they themselves may you know and have the inherent processes that we're seeing the changes with. That's true, huh? Yeah, I guess yeah. Just your just your audience that you chose your sample. Um, but it, it also I I really love the idea too that we might be able to just plug a game in that helps somebody with attention deficit learn and rewire their processing a little bit. I mean, to me, you could see that that might create benefits with anxiety or uh, ADD or ADHD or even other mood disorders. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the most important component of that is that it would be an enjoyable process. Yeah. It would be just some repetitive thing that people do to, you know, help themselves or something, you know, it may even make them more stressed out. It's something that, you know, could kind of take their mind off it while at the same time improving things. It's it's also, I guess, kind of scary because then you just start creating games that I guess are we're going to diagnose you with whatever. And then um, the instead of giving you meds, we just okay, I need you to go play this video game seven times yeah. a day. I mean, a lot of kids yeah, would be like, be nice sweet. Yeah. But, I mean, it really is. You're on the cutting edge of something, I think, pretty powerful. And um, is it – where do you see – where else do you see the future of this going? I mean, it also, I guess, teaches you just a lot about problem-solving because a lot of these games do have problem-solving abilities. So I guess that's learning too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, one thing to consider. Uh, so, you know, we look specifically at um, people who played, you know, first-person shooter-type games like um, – I don't know, games like Halo, Call of Duty, things like that. Uh, so we specifically looked at these games because you're basically, you know, in this virtual world, you know, you can look around. Um, there's supposed to be a lot of visual engagement there. So we're looking at a lot of, like, things that would stimulate the visual cortex. Sure. Um, however, that's, you know, that's only one type of, you know, many, many different types of games. Um, so, like, if we look at, like, strategy games or, like, uh, you know, like more adventure games or things like that, um, puzzles, you know, yeah. they're all different. They probably engage different systems as well. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating just uh, having kids that um, can play certain, you know, game building or, get, you know, world building games where they're actually designing their own worlds and they're designing their stuff. I just sit there and I think we're we're seriously overestimating it if we just sit there and throw people into a category of like gamers, because yeah, I, th- there's so much going on, right? And and it's not – it's a whole different world. Yeah, it, definitely. I mean, like, if you look at – if you're saying, like, you know, building games, things like that, that's, you know, that's all sorts of engagement with, you know, creativity and things like that, um, which is also a huge component, which I believe is ignored a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you w- being willing to talk to us about it. This is some pretty fascinating research. Again, Aaron Berard is um, a Brown University, a graduate student there at Brown University, and uh, he's on the cutting edge, folks. Video gaming and learning, it's, um, it's, you know, maybe they're not opposed to each other. Maybe, in fact, they help one another. And uh, I think eventually we're going to find out video games might uh, be a, a really powerful tool. To, to get a lot of interesting information into people's brains. We'll take a break, my friends. Again, the power of just more and more information. That's what we're trying to bring you here from the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, interesting interview there with Aaron Berard from Brown University. He's a graduate student. And um, okay, okay. So I have to apologize to my techno geeky friends. This doesn't sound like an apology. Jimmy Crack Corn and Terry Osoveri. I apologize. So they are learning. Video games are helping people learn. But he was more talking about visually. They're they're getting better at being able to visually anticipate where to go, what to do. So visually, you guys are you're, you're probably doing okay. Socially, we didn't get into that, but. Yeah, not so much learning there. I don't know. That's a great apology. Yeah, I felt the so so. The please, sorrow. please. Again, I don't know how it'll impact you because socially you are both a little off. But I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I questioned your learning. But James, some advice. Seriously, give up the video games because you're married now. Just let Kaylee. Tutor you in the arts of human and social relationships. Just do that. I think he's offended. I've offended Jimmy. You heard his feeling. His feeling? That one. <laughs> that one feeling just vibrating in pain. That one feeling he's got, yeah. <laughs> so here's the deal. If you really want to learn, we're going to do the coach's corner here. And I'm going to give you some real things to go do other than video gaming. I mean, video gaming, good for visual learning. But if you really want to learn, here's some things you ought to work on. Numero uno, you might want to find, and this is a really cool activity, go learn how you influence and use your character, right? So go out and do you, for example, just think out there in listener land, do you know what your your character strengths are? If somebody asked you, what are you really good at when it comes to your character? Do you know what you do you know what where you thrive? Do you know where you excel? Because I might spend some time. I mean, video games are great. Don't get me wrong, but you might also want to understand your own character, your own integrity, your own uh, hard work, your own loyalty, your own dedication, perseverance. All of these character traits that matter. Do you know what yours are? And do you know what matters? Most to you. There's a great website uh, you got to go check out by a guy named Martin Seligman called Authentic Happiness. And on, in that website, you can go in and take an assessment and find out what your character strengths are. I highly suggest you do that. Now, you could go play video games. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You could. But you might also want to go take some time and just identify of all of the, the character strengths that exist – what are the ones where you're magnifying your most abilities, your skills? Where do you thrive when it comes to your character? And in his research, uh, Mr. Seligman has, Dr. Seligman has actually talked about when we focus on our character, we tend to be happier. So go find out what your character strengths are. Hard work, integrity, loyalty, social intelligence, what are the things that you're bringing to the dance? And then a really fun exercise that you can do once you kind of have figured that out, start identifying every day some examples where you are influencing and using your character strength. Now, 
Jimmy Crack Corn. He's already asking me the question. I know it. I'm not even I'm not even going to look at him, but I know he's asking it. Hey, can I use that on my video game? Sure. I guess. Use your hard work to go get better at video gaming. Use your integrity to be loyal to your team in a, vi- a fight against Martians or aliens. Sure. Do it. Most importantly, though, just go learn about your own character. Okay? So if we're talking learning, I'd go learn about my character. Another thing that you might want to do that's it's just really strange, in, instead of video games, you might want to go read a book. Just saying. A life-changing book. There's so many out there. We have so many authors on this show. If you don't know of a, of a good book, just go back and look through our archives at uh, byuradio.org, and you can just, you'll see a million different topics. Pick one. We'll have an author on there. I mean, pretty much every show we'll have one author on. I have certain books in my life that I've read changed my life forever. We'll never be the same. And uh, it doesn't even have to just be like a self-help type of book. There was, um, There's just a lot of different books that can change your life, right? And so it doesn't matter what it is, but go find a book and maybe spend some time. You could play video games. Not saying video games are bad. I'm just saying you could also read a book, a life-changing book. So maybe this summer this might be a little activity you want to do is instead of just defaulting to video games, if you tend to be caught up in that, Come on back and, and, and read a book. You know, I've got a book, not to brag, but I want to go get that one. What about a book about video games? Um, sure, sure. If you've got, you know, if you're ready to just totally waste your time, <laughs> go get a book about video games. Man, alive. Uh, here's another one that you could do. Now, again, you can play video games, but you might want to just go break one frustrating habit, like playing video games. Just break a habit. Everybody's got a bad habit. So one one area you could go if you want to learn and, you know, go break some habits. It could be anything. Drinking more water. It could be exercising more. It could be video games if you want to get technical. It could be your habit of sleeping in too late. It could be your habit of staying up too late. Just break one. I mean, I don't want to guilt anybody. It's just you do only have one life to live. And you may not want to waste it. Oh, shouldn't say waste. You may not want to spend it doing something that, you know, you're not going to be able to have people appreciate at your funeral. Right? Like a video game. Well, nowadays you can record what you play on the video game, and you can save that online. And so at the funeral, you could have a TV display, and you could show those videos. Look what I accomplished. Who, who would watch that? There would be kids there. <laughs> so My fellow video game players. So when you're, like at your funeral, you want your kids, to, your grandkids to say, um, I miss dad so much, or grandpa so much. Yep. Nobody, nobody could... Kill people on the road driving their car better than dad could. Wouldn't that be awesome play video games with your grandkids? Well, wouldn't it make more sense to just... I could impart my wisdom of all the things I've learned, all the lessons I've learned. But that's the question is when you're playing a video game, how much imparting is going on? There's quite a bit. Have you seen <laughs> the storylines on some of these? It's really yeah. deep. That'd be actually really, really cool to have a highlight reel of your best moments right. at your funeral. That'd be really Look cool. at this car wreck. Look, my car flew off a mountain. It'd be awesome. Okay. Um, 
Okay. That's an idea. I mean, I don't want to discourage any, you know, your ideas. It just seems like at a funeral you'd want to maybe talk, I don't know, more about your kids, hmm. your family. I mean, this would just be one part. Well, I mean, how long is the funeral going to be? It might be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm displayed there in the casket. Uh-huh. And just behind the casket, you have a monitor, and there you can see some of my life achievements. Just right there by your casket. Yeah, why not? Then people could walk by and go, and they could have a, a brief moment of sadness that I'm, I'm, I'm gone and my influence will not be felt in their life <laughs> the same way. And then they could look up and go, but he was awesome at video games. <laughs> you know what? Who, who cares if dad never talked to us? He sure killed those Martians. Yeah, that's moving. Look at the use of the frag grenade. That was crazy. You know, stuff like that. Hmm. Frag grenade. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, in my world, that's uh-huh. not that's not a phrase I want at my funeral. <laughs> I do not want the word frag or grenade used what about at my funeral. What about strafing technique? No strafing. Okay. No, no. No strafing. I don't care about X or Y axis at my funeral. Call me old-fashioned. I just would rather that we we don't do that. Just I'm just saying. Well, you can have your funeral and mine will be fun. Yeah. Yours will be fun for who? For me. All the people you ignored That's while you fine. were strafing and frag. It cuts down on how many bombing. people my wife will have to figure out how to feed. Maybe maybe here's let me just do the next one. Okay, sorry. Break a habit, okay, if you can. That's just something else you could do to learn. Another one is you could just change. Why don't you just spend time changing one person's life? Give up your video game. And spend just a little time changing a real human being's life. Like your wife, for heaven's sakes. Your mother. Your friends. Go talk to him. Not the ones that you guys talk on your headsets. That's not going to change their life for good forever. That's just headset talk. So Alpha Dog 249 doesn't count? You can, you, if you want. To change Alpha Dog 249, you can, but you just got to turn off the machine and then take him to dinner Ooh. and talk to him. Have you met some of these people? Have you heard about some of these people? I know well, you haven't met them. But. Well, I know. But see, notice that's the point is well, these people are you two. Yeah. And we're trying to help you. I'm trying to give you other ideas, things you can do ex- the, instead of that are just as, they're more valuable. Change a person's life. Like, where would James be if we hadn't intervened? And pulled right. him out of that basket mm-hmm. that was left on the front stoop of BYU Broadcasting. He'd probably be dead. And now look at him. He's almost – he's married. Mm. He's almost going to graduate in a year. Almost. <laughs> I mean, depending. He's fantastic. He now smells nice. The daily showering. That you recommended for yeah. James really has helped. Well, do you remember? And before when he was just video gaming, no right. showers, just gross. Covered in Cheetos dust. Yeah, and 20-year-old cheddar. Yeah. Yeah. From the earlier segment. Anyway, change the goal. There's just a lot you can change. And I think a lot of it's being wasted playing video games. Again, I'm not anti-video game. I'm just, there's other things you could do. You know, what do I know? We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back. Do a few more headlines, and then uh, we'll be talking about the hero. Hero of the day. A great uh, volunteer firefighter, Scott McDowell. Up next on the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're wrapping up the show. It's a little bit different show today because we're not talking with our buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. So we're just going to go right to the headlines. Uh, I still feel bad because I feel like you guys think I don't like you. No, you don't like some of our behaviors. Well, I mean, I, I don't like... You don't participate in the... Uh, I just think there's more to life than the, video games. The greatness of video games. So it's fine. It's it's quite all right. What we a, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know you do. To each your own. You can go home and knit. We'll play video games. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> it's cross-stitch. I'm sorry. Crochet. It's not knitting. Anyway, um, <laughs> any headlines for us? Any news we need to catch up on? Motorcycle lane splitting. Do you know what this is? Is this where you're driving and some Yahoo on a motorcycle try to shoots the gap between you and another car? Right. That's nuts. They're trying to legalize it in California. I thought it was legal in California. No. That's where I always saw it. Well, that's where I always saw it, too, and I always thought it was dangerous. Who You know, someone changes lanes, what door do opens. It? Lane what? Lane splitting. Interesting. The rush hour time saver for bikers that enrages many drivers may be poised for former legalization. California would be the first state to sanction the traffic evading tactic already widespread on traffic choke freeways of Los Angeles. The state assembly is expected to approve the legislation as soon as Thursday of this week, hmm. and supporters believe it will be clear it will clear the Senate as well. The measure would allow motorcycles to travel between cars at speeds up to 15 miles per hour faster than the flow of traffic up to a speed of 50 miles per hour. Well, okay, is this safe? Well, I mean, it seems like you're one door opening away from death. As it says, the bill legislative backers cite studies showing the practice is safer than trapping bikers behind cars, which leaves them vulnerable to more serious rear-end okay, collisions. that makes sense. But the proposal has riled both detractors and supporters. Legislative bodies in Washington, Oregon, Texas, Nevada, and Tennessee have already considered, proposed, or voted on lane-splitting laws. Wow. To date, none of those proposals has passed. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't think it would be safer. But apparently, well, it's not necessarily safer, but safer than getting safer. hit from behind. Well, for sure. Yeah. But most of the time, you already have a car behind you. So why don't they just let you I, I think this drive is, on the shoulder for a while? I think this is more of the idea that they can't stop it. I think that's the point. So try to le- reg- uh, try to uh, legislate, regulate it a little bit so that it's trying to be safer. And then- I see. There is a way to stop it, but I don't want to propose it. Yeah. Opening your door. Just one door. <laughs> one door, it's there no more. A 13-year-old boy in Ohio uh, is accused of stealing $25,000 from his 83-year-old grandfather. What? A 13-year-old? Yes. And handing out $100 bills to his middle-class schoolmates. <laughs> He's like, here you go. Look what Grandpa gave me. Everyone gets money. Does the, it, hold on. Was this guy a video gamer? I, it does not say. I bet he Could was. be. Authorities say the boy gave away thousands of dollars last month before school officials discovered what he was doing. Investigators recovered some of the money. Some had already been spent. $80,000? Oh, $25,000. $25,000? his 83-year-old grandfather. Well, somebody just spent his inheritance. It sounds like it to me. Uh, dele- the, he'll get a delinquency count, the kid. The grand- they're trying to retrieve the money. One of the kids already spent the money, gave it to his grandparents, who then took the money and took him on a shopping spree because he had 100 bucks. <laughs> so <laughs> they're trying to figure out. Hey, has anybody seen that $25,000 I left under the bed? Twenty five grand. An 82-year-old man in Florida was arrested for slashing a woman's tires because he claimed he was sitting in, she was sitting in his favorite bingo seat. (laughs) 
Get out of my bingo seat. Fred Smith was charged with criminal mischief on Monday when police say he took an ice pick uh-uh. to 88-year-old Ethel Britt's van oh. during a weekly bingo game at a retirement community clubhouse. See, that was premeditated because yeah. he brought a pick and took it to the van. She was sitting in a chair that he usually sits in. Smith was caught in surveillance video. He'll have to pay $500 in tire damage and restitution. Was it was it actually her van or was it like the senior se- no, citizen was, center van? It was Ethel's van. <laughs> so the 82-year-old slashes the 88-year-old woman's van tires oh, man. over a bingo seat. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? A 98-year-old man died last week. He was likely the last living person who worked on the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, really? The San Francisco Chronicle reports that Gus Valalta died died at a hospital in San Jose just one day before the 78th anniversary of the bridge's opening. Hmm. The Italian-born man landed a job as an electrician's assistant after graduating missed the Great Depression. He was paid 75 cents an hour to pass wire to a more experienced worker. See, you don't think about that, but think about all of the workers for that built the bridge, mm-hmm. but then also that have painted the bridge, that built all of these major landmarks. I mean, think of that. We haven't had a really big bridge project, have we? I mean, we had Boston being rebuilt. But, yeah, but we, we have machines now, whereas then they didn't quite have the technology that we have to move See, that kind of stuff around. See, you always bring it back to video games. It comes back to games. And they have joysticks, and you can move. Well, stuff I know, around. but you still would have to have people building, running the machines. Well, yeah, but not the same. Back then, it was like he's handing pieces of wire to people. Yeah, we'd have some way of distributing that better without having to hire another person. We'd so, use a drone. We'd use a drone. I mean, I know where you're going with this. A Ohio judge sentenced a woman to walk over 30 miles, the same distance of the taxi fare she ditched with the cab driver. So she didn't pay the taxi fare, so they charged her. Or they they sentenced her to thirty miles. Victoria Boscom called a cab to take her from Cleveland to Plainsville. After arriving at her destination, she bailed out without paying. Boscom was found guilty, and the judge gave her a sentence of her choice: either serve sixty days in jail or walk over thirty miles <laughs> within forty-eight hours. Baskin was also sentenced to four months probation, ordered to pay the cab company $100 in fines. In the past, the judge has sentenced a drunken driver to view bodies of car crash victims in the morgue. Yeah. So instead, he pay had, up or walk. He had someone who called a police officer a pig, made him stand on a corner with a live pig and a sign that says police officers are not pigs. He's kind of into the public shaming. <laughs> I like that guy. But that's great. But don't, you know, don't steal. Yeah. Yeah, or walk, get walking. So walk 30 miles in 48 hours. I like how you put like a time limit I on don't that. know that that's a lot of walking. I mean, you could do it. You can run oh, yeah. a marathon. And if a 92-year-old woman can run a marathon in seven and a half hours, mm-hmm. she could walk 30 miles. I think it would teach her a lesson. I don't know. What do you think the consequence should be for children or, or adult men that play too many video games? More video games. No. You have to play bad video games. Ah, Caillou. And, yeah. Maybe the punishment is they have to eat, like, an entire pizza mm. within, like, an hour. Okay. Okay, that doesn't seem like a punishment in my world. Well, you have to do it in an hour, and it's yeah. a whole pizza. You couldn't really enjoy That's a it. lot of pizza. Well, who it, couldn't do that? 
I, probably a lot of people only are like one piece, two but piece. A whole pizza, how big are we talking? Are we we're talking twelve inch, fourteen? Fourteen inch. Seventy two. Deep dish, are we talking deep dish? Is it deep dish? Is, is it, it thin crust? Is that bacon on the crust? Meat lovers. Ooh. Mm, that could be tough. That's a lot of bread. I'm hungry. <laughs> anyway, that kind of sidetracked us. A Silicon Valley recycling firm is offering $100,000 to a woman who knowingly threw away her rare Apple One computer that sold for $200,000. Oh, she threw it away? The computer was discovered at a uh, clean bay area among boxes donated by a woman who was cleaning out her garage after her husband died. The woman did not request a tax receipt or leave contact info. She just threw it away. Now they're saying, we'll give you $100,000. Just let us have it. Holy cow. See? That won't happen if you're playing video games. That lady was playing video games. That's why she threw it out. Hey, we like to end the show uh, talking about heroes, my friends. And uh, who better than Scott McDowell, who's a volunteer firefighter. Um, and here's his story. 38 years old. He's been a volunteer firefighter for the Montrose City for years. On May 22nd uh, in 2011, it proved to be a life-changing day for McDowell when a mysterious infection took over his body and eventually claimed both of his legs from the knees down. Doctors still don't know what caused the infection, but McDowell said he's he's okay with not knowing. Becoming a double, double amputee overnight would certainly prove a challenge for anybody, but Scott McDowell has decided to focus on the positive rather than the negative. He said, I focus on what I can do, on not on what happened. And what he does now is inspiring. He has dedicated his life to helping people. McDowell has two prosthetic legs and continues to work in the Flint area amputee support team by visiting and encouraging new amputees. After his amputations, McDowell was resigned to answering the station's radio calls. But after a few months, he was cleared to drive the fire trucks. And now with less than a month, uh, a month ago, he was cleared to begin fire, fighting fires again. He's been an inspiration to all of us, says the fellow co-worker. We don't have any bad days when we think about Scott. So much good has come out of this, says Scott, that the door of opportunity has opened to help so many more people. So, Scott McDowell, you're the hero of the day. You lose your legs and uh, you show us how to fight and how to show positivity. That's why we need you, folks. That's what we want you to see in the world. There is good out there in the world, even if you have to make it on your own like Scott McDowell did. Good luck to you. We'll take a break. Uh, actually, that's it. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care and be safe. 